does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You know the name of this song, Jimmy? I don't. I just know it's by Oasis. Well, there's a key lyric in it where he says, we come upon the shock and the lightning, right? And we are on the eve of it, which is why I had Eddie fire that up. We are on the eve of the shock and the lightning that's going to take place tomorrow in Ann Arbor, Michigan. What have I been saying for a month? It is here. It's upon us. You got the shirt on. I know we're going to talk about Colts and Jags over the course of today on a Friday. Got a little baseball to get to. Friday the 13th, man. Friday the 13th and heading in towards Halloween. Like, there's a lot going on, right? But now I always get, I used to always get confused. Friday the 13th, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and uh, what's so Friday the 13th, that's Jason, right? Halloween is Michael Myers. Yes. Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger. Correct. Right? Yes. You got it all. All three of those are going to be in attendance tomorrow at the big house because it's going to be a house of horrors for Michigan. Because <laughs> the Indiana Fighting Hoosiers coming off their bye are going to go in there, shake up at the coordinator, LEO. Eddie Garrison's going to be snapping his fingers, singing along. He's been practicing all week. And starting to develop some calluses on my hands, actually, from all the snapping <laughs> that's good. Doing. You, want, you want to give me a little warm-up there on what you're going to be doing tomorrow? I, I about can't. Four I, got, I got to save them. I got to save them. What about, the, what about the lyric part? <laughs> a one, a two, a you know what to do. <laughs> uh, in fact, Indiana tomorrow, the big stunner. I'm telling you right now, the preview... Don't don't put the mortgage on it. Do not do not in any way, shape, or form. But, but it, when Indiana upsets Michigan and shocks the world, my Twitter is going to blow up. I'm telling you right now, you, Nostradamus, right here. Indiana shocks the world. I've been saying it since we started this show. How are you on a Friday? My name is Jake Query. Eddie Garrison, you just heard singing along. Jimmy Cook joining us as well. This is Query and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I am happy to report. That, uh, Jimmy, give me a wave real quick. Other hand. Okay. Wedding ring back on. Still has it. Did your wife say anything to you about the Chiefs ring yesterday? No. Was she like, you no, know, I, they, they were kind of right. I, I brought it up to her, and she reiterated what she said, which is that she tolerates me. She puts up with me. It's, okay. It wasn't a ringing endorsement, Jake. You'll be happy to know that. But A ringing endorsement. Uh-huh. Uh, you met her where? Uh, we met down at IU. And she is native of where? Went to Warren Central. Okay, and so she just knew from the time that she met you that the Chiefs were the deal, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very early on. Yep. Now, what is what is her passion that you tolerate? <laughs> um, she, God love her, Jake. She's a diehard IU football fan, so she's also hoping oh, for a uh, for an upset tomorrow. Okay, so but you you kind of like IU football though. What yeah, is, I do. What yeah. is it that she's into that you're like, you know, you don't get it? TV show or something she does with her friends. Real Housewives, Jake. You can relate to that one. Okay. I don't get it. Like, our internet was down yesterday, and she was in a tizzy because she wasn't going to be able to watch Reunion Show Part 2. Oh, my gosh. So, does this happen to you where you're like, can we change this? Uh, uh, Ten more minutes. They're getting ready to argue here. i got to see what they're saying. Ten more minutes. And you're like, wait a minute. This has been on for like, (laughs) they have a reunion show literally every day, right? Feels like it. Yeah. And then you find out these women don't even know each other. You know that, right? Yeah. 
They just like they, they get together for lunch like three times a month and they film it and C- then they curse yell at, at each, each other. other. Yeah, exactly. Throw things and then have so, reunion shows. But here's the thing with Andy Cohen. So, so if your wife is talking to her friends, she would say to them, "Well." You know, Jimmy kind of likes the Real Housewives thing. I mean, he watches it with me. When in reality, you're like, I, I can't stand this. Like, I can see my brain oozing out of my ear sure. while I'm watching it, right? Sure. I hate to break this to you. It's kind of the same thing. It like, no you doubt. think she tolerates no, 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 the I, ring, but I, I deep know. down to her yeah, friend, yeah. she's like, I yeah. can't believe it. No doubt. Uh, so, the Philadelphia Phillies advance in the National League Championship Series. My condolences and apologies to Paul the Mailman. Not Giddy Paul, but my other buddy Paul the Mailman. I know two Pauls, both are mailmen. Um, and as well... That? To, of course, Derek, who is the Director of Veteran Affairs for the program and a native of Mississippi, diehard Braves fan. Uh, Atlanta goes home. So now Philadelphia advances to take on the Arizona Diamondbacks. And then, of course, the American League side of things. It's the Battle of Texas between the Rangers and the Astros. The other big thing coming up on the weekend, there's a lot going on this weekend. I did see, Jimmy, that Notre Dame now, apparently like everyone and their brother is putting money down and, and altering the line between Notre Dame and USC, right? Yes. Your thoughts? I mean, the last I saw it, Jake, was yesterday. Eddie and I were discussing this very thing, and I believe it was still Notre Dame by two and a half. That's correct. I've not checked it since then. I think that's right. Where is that game? It's at Notre Dame. And I don't know what it opened at. I need to check that. Probably did that when I banged the table. Here, here's the thing about that game. It, it, it's not unlike the Colts-Jaguars game. You can sit and convince yourself. We'll we'll start with the Colts and Jags. Okay. You could, if this was high school debate class and Eddie Garrison, Mr. Garrison was our teacher here, and we each had to give a compelling argument as to why the team that you've been assigned is going to win the game, you, Jimmy Cook, could do a five-minute thing in front of the class on legitimate reasons and you would have five minutes worth of conversation about why the Colts are going to win on Sunday. Yes. Now I, Jake Query, would be able to do the same with evidence that the Jaguars will win the game and be able to give five minutes of solid evidence as to why Jacksonville is going to win. And both of us would have we wouldn't it, it wouldn't be word salad both of us would be giving compelling arguments that could convince the audience that our team is going to win the game i think you could say the same for the notre dame usc matchup because usc offensively can score at will like they look at the field and at six points right but they can't stop anybody i'm not kidding you if usc stopped on the way to South Bend in Shelbyville and in scrimmage tonight, the Shelbyville Golden Bears. Shelbyville scores 21 on them, right? Yeah. And almost no lead feels safe for USC, regardless of how Correct. many points they put up. It could be but 28 to so nothing. So long as there's time on the clock, they come yeah. back out and they match it, right? right. I mean, it, I remember when I played high school basketball, I was not a great defender. When I wanted to be, I guess I could be, but like I didn't like playing defense, I guess. And I remember once playing like pick up ball and one of my buddies is like like Jake you're the worst defender ever and my response was dude my defense is my offense like you can't outscore me so it doesn't matter right. now terrible philosophy and probably the reason why you know I didn't have like some long standing career but 
there is a it, for USC football this year that is absolutely the case, right? Yeah. I mean, their 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 defense is the fact that you constantly are worried about what their offense is going to do. Yeah. You asked this conversation earlier in the week about teams that might be in danger of missing the playoff because of one loss, and I'm still willing to hear an argument that maybe USC could avoid it because they still play top 10, top 15 teams within the Pac-12 schedule they still have left to play. So maybe there is an avenue there. But there's also a feel from a Notre Dame side, not just because it's a rivalry game with USC, but if we're going down, we're taking you with us. Going back to Colts-Jags, it feels a lot like that Colts game a couple years ago where all they needed to do was beat the Jaguars and get in the playoffs, and the Jaguars said, nope, not today. Sorry, you're, you're going to Cancun with us as well. Right. Kind of has a similar vibe in terms of what Notre Dame can still play for, because yes, they can still play for a successful season. Yes, they can still play for maybe a New Year's Six Bowl, but their playoff picture died last week in Louisville. USC still has life there, but yeah, anytime you get an opportunity to knock out the Trojans, it's it's a great feeling. The, the, the funny thing about the college football playoff is the teams right now that are the most in the running are all going to cannibalize each other. Right. I mean, you have... Literally three of the top eight teams are in the Big Ten, right? Yep. And then three the three more are in the Pac-12, right? So, I mean, although USC hasn't been given a lot of love just yet. And then you have Georgia. I, I mean, Texas has, has bounced themselves out, but Oklahoma now seems to be on a fast track. So it, it's kind of shaping up before your eyes. It's just a matter of like which of those and does one of those conferences right. get two in. It's looking like right now, without looking ahead to the rest of the schedule, I would just a guess based on what I've seen so far this season, Georgia will get there, and I'm willing to make a strong argument that Florida State could get there just because of what's yeah Florida State's left in the you ACC. Kind of forget about right, and they're and they're they're fourth right now in the AP top twenty five. Again, we've yet to reach the part of the season where. The college football playoff rankings have been released. Those are the only ones that matter. But Florida State, Jimmy, is one of them. They are one for sure that they cannot afford a loss. Correct. Yes. Because their schedule is just not good enough. Correct. I mean, the, you know, the the win they had against Clemson, they had to hold on for dear life. Yeah. And, and that, you know, Clemson's got two losses now and probably is going to pick up a third or a fourth. Right. Yeah. For, for Florida State, in terms of what's left for them this season, you're looking at a game against Duke in two weeks with significance because it's Duke, but it is at home. And then Wake Forest, Pitt, Miami, North Alabama on the road at Florida. And then the ACC championship game. So they are in control of their own destiny. They could likely make their way in. You would assume Georgia gets in to your point, Michigan, Ohio state at some point are going to cannibalize one another. Not that it's impossible for both teams to make the playoff, but like that's going to be a tough hill to climb out of. And then you start looking at Oklahoma, Penn State, Washington, Oregon, all teams that are currently still undefeated, USC just outside looking in. So the Trojans, again, it's going to be tough to be a one-loss team because then you're going to go up against Texas or other teams that have suffered that one loss versus if you go perfect, more often than not, if you're a Power 5 school, we know this, you're going to get in. So that's that's what's at stake essentially for the Trojans the rest of the way, but especially on Saturday at South Bend is an opportunity to trounce a rival for Notre Dame. It's take them down and potentially ruin their playoff chances. Uh, hey, Jake, you can't even get a money line on IU. On, on DraftKings, that's correct also. Uh, but th- there's a reason for that. Listen. Listen. <laughs> Is it still 34? I, I, I've told... 33. And, uh, Ooh. I, I, I want... I want if Some nothing, sharp money? If nothing else, if nothing else, in the 15 hours of arduous work that we do per week, 
if nothing else, I, I need people to, to hear me out for the next 45 seconds in a critically important public service announcement. Okay. Okay. One hit or nine with it. Eddie Garrison, have you been to Las Vegas? I have indeed. You stayed where? I stayed at the Paris okay. and the American. I've also, st- well, look at you, just very international. Thank you. Uh, I also have stayed at Paris when I was in Las Vegas. Uh, beautiful, right? Paris? Yes. I mean, not the city, but the, the, the city is as well. Um, and by the way, I just learned yesterday, you can still fly nonstop to Paris from Cincinnati. Can't do it from India anymore. You can do it from Cincinnati. Uh, but Paris, the, the resort, the casino in Las Vegas, bigger place, wouldn't you say? Oh, it's huge. Yeah. It's massive. You get lost in the place. Yes. You're walking around. The inside of it is painted as if you're like in a French villa, and you really feel like you're in France, right? Yeah, a bunch of shops, some small- fountains. Probably some nice fountains. Yeah, some nice uh, small restaurants in right. there, and obviously slot machines and- uh, casino, card tables, and whatnot. Okay, Jimmy, you been to Vegas? I have. Where did you stay? I've stayed at the Palm. Mm-hmm. I've stayed at MGM Park. Okay. I stayed a night at Westgate, and then there's one other one that I can't remember the name of where it was. Well, but so I've been, been to a couple night. spots. But all uh, the, all of them were for work primarily, Jake. That's the okay. downside. But but bigger places, right? Yes. Nice fountains. Yes. Lovely dinners that are inexpensive in the buffets. Sure. Right. Yeah. Drinks. Yeah, the yeah. whole deal. Yeah, right. Yeah, yep. Beautiful carpeting. Oh yeah. Right. It, it smells like a million bucks. Right. You walk oh. around, just wonderful scents oh, 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 and yeah. smells. Yeah. Fresh air everywhere. Oh right? yes. Yeah. Absolutely spectacular. Uh, all of that was was built not on people winning. Okay. They're able to pay for those things because people aren't winning. So the same is true when people are saying you can't put a money line on Indiana against Michigan. That's because these places ain't stupid. They got fountains to build. They got statues to build. They've got Eiffel Towers to build. They have city blocks that they are putting in hotel rooms. And they're doing that in in making sure that they are not putting themselves at risk of losing a lot of money, which is exactly what would happen if they allow people to bet on Indiana because Vegas ain't stupid. They know what's happening. They know that Tom Allen's fighting Hoosiers are bought in. They they saw the look in the eyes of those guys when they're singing the fight song after games, how dialed in they are. They've seen, like when Tom Allen was, was sending his guys out for the bucket game, how, how invested and dialed in those guys are. They know. They absolutely know. So let that be caution to the wind. When you can't wager on it, it's because it's a foregone conclusion what's going to happen. <laughs> Vidara was the other one. The what? Vidara was the other place. Okay. Where's that? Is that uh, on the it's, it's near the Cosmopolitan. It's like okay. right around that area. Fair enough. Um, but Jake, so in that case then, if the money line's not available to you and Vegas thinks they know something, then they're basically handing out 34 points for free, right? I mean, that's that's the other way to look at it. No? Well, it's all a sucker deal. I mean, they know the numbers on where people are sure, and sure. what they're... What they're I mean, trust me. They know what's up. Oh, yeah. Uh, Booker McFarlane going to join us 16 minutes from now, by the way. I have... I will die on this hill. And these parts, I recall when the Colts won the Super Bowl, going down on Monument Circle, it was like 10 degrees outside. Nobody knew for certain if there was going to be a victory parade. And everybody was going to the RCA Dome because we knew the team had landed and was going to go to the RCA Dome and there was going to be like a celebration there. But people were like, well, surely there's going to be a parade. And, and people started lining the streets in anticipation of a parade. And there wasn't necessarily a plan for one. Norman Cox of Channel 6 was standing out on Monument Circle down here wearing a, a Cleveland Browns hat, screaming at people that to go home because nothing was going to happen. And that seemed to be legitimate because nobody knew. 
And then they land and they're like, wait a minute, people are lining the streets. So let's just go to the warehouse where there's a bunch of the golf carts and stuff and like floats from the 500 Festival Parade and put the team on them and, and kind of go up Capitol and around and back down and then to the RCA Dome. And that's what happened, right? And during that, the two things that I vividly remember of the Super Bowl quote-unquote parade through Indianapolis was, number one, Bob Sanders was on the – well, first off, Bill Polian had the Lombardi trophy in his hands, and it was like pry it from my dead cold hands. Like no one else was going to touch that trophy. Bill Polian was standing in the front of the float with that trophy, and it, to, in his defense, it was like frozen to his to his hands. But Bob Sanders was on the back of one of those floats, bobbing his head, wearing sunglasses, and he was the rock star of Indianapolis. I mean, people were more receptive towards seeing Bob Sanders than they were like Peyton Manning. I mean, it literally was like the biggest rock star ever. And I know and I understand. I mean, he was a defensive player of the year. He was a fabulous player. Fabulous player. But I will die on this hill. The defensive player that put the Colts over the top to win that Super Bowl was Booger McFarlane. When they traded for Booger McFarlane and finally had a stopgap in the middle that then just kind of forced everything outward and Freeney and Mathis had their help in terms of the run game and then Sanders could come up, Booger McFarlane was absolutely the key piece. I will, and that's probably unpopular opinion, but I think if you talk to coaches or players that were there then, they would certainly give credit to Bob Sanders, but they would also say, yeah, McFarlane was a, a very important acquisition. But there's a lot of football to talk about with him in terms of this weekend. Um, and we don't even have to talk about the game last night, Jimmy, because that game sucked, right? Yeah, I mean, it was, even by my standards, is a bit of an ugly watch, right? The Chiefs do what they do best, which is bleed the clock, do enough to put their opponents away, they're still trying to figure things out offensively. There weren't the explosive plays that you're used to when you see a Patrick Mahomes highlight reel. Uh, that said, and this is the last I'll say on it, Jake, because I, I know that you're going to hit me with the uh, call-in number for those that need it. They somehow did something they almost never do, which is they covered the spread. They won by 11. Ugly. Very ugly game last night. But so. didn't you say they had covered the spread in like their last 10 against well, or they, something? They, they, they had against Denver, but if you look at like what they've done yeah. in the Mahomes era, generally they don't do that. They they don't because they don't care right they care about winning like that's that's the, they're like most teams they don't care about what the spread says about them they care about winning the game Jake if you were curious I did not watch one snap or I should say one minute of the Taylor Swift concert last night by the way you can make that comment uh, they maybe showed her twice Good. so it was not it was not what uh, you would have expected Glad from Al previous Michaels got the message so there you go so here's the thing I don't think you're alone Eddie. I think last night, I mean, having nothing to do with the Chiefs or Taylor Swift, it just wasn't a good matchup. Everybody knew going into it who was going to win that game. Yeah. And you had the baseball playoffs on. Yep. You know, some markets probably had some, there might have been some NBA preseason. I don't. I just don't think people were interested in it. It was a very non-compelling matchup. The only thing of note that happened in that game was I still don't understand what roughing the passer is. Chiefs sent a blitz late in that game and they hit. Russell Wilson, like as he got rid of the ball, and they said that the safety that came over used his body weight and they threw a flag. And then it became a one possession game when you knew the game was over. Outside of that, yeah, there was not a ton to ton to go off of. Yeah, the uh, you know, that's kind of been true in college as well, isn't it? Yeah. Like just in terms of 
I mean, I've seen a couple of roughing the passer plays where I'm like, and I hate to say this because I understand the spirit of the rule. I think targeting is the same way because if I'm going to sack you or you're a receiver or whatever, and I have launched towards you to make a tackle, I'm in, I'm not a cat. You can't do anything. Right. I'm not a cat. I can't contort my body in midair. (laughs) Right. Yes. So where you turn or where and you are the receiver so you've you've caught a pass and you're turning around and you're lowering your head cuz you're anticipating contact right yep. neither of us here is at fault no but if the way that I've catapulted my body and the way that you have done the same to yours once you're in flight there's not a whole lot you can do i mean i guess you can theoretically turn your head or low, I, I don't know, raise or lower your head? I don't know. I mean, it's easy to talk about in slow-mo, but at those speeds, that's not happening. Like, there's no natural body movement that you're able to contort your body in such a way to not make contact with targeting calls. Same thing with roughing the passer. And yes, sure, there's some egregious ones and why the rule was there to protect quarterbacks, to protect receivers, but there's other times where it appears to be incidental contact, and the reason it's ultra-frustrating at the collegiate level is... All they need for targeting is, it's not intent, it's helmet-to-helmet contact and you're gone. The ejection rule is still present. So, yeah, both collegiately and professionally, those two calls, absolutely maddening. I, I get nervous whenever Eddie starts walking around. What, what, is something, what, what's going on, Eddie? You got to fix the camera here? Yeah, I got to fit your guys' heads in it. Apparently on the YouTube channel, um, we are off out of frame i'll tell you what it makes me feel better because usually it's just my head that he's trying to get into frame so now you're part of it welcome well i stand up and sit down the entire show <laughs> so i'm pr- and i move all over the place right well he- here's the thought why-, why don't we just back the camera up so it's a wider shot i mean i'm you know i'm no i, I mean i don't want to move it i'm no ansel adams here but like you know what i mean it seems like <laughs> that would make sense um but yeah you know some of the some of the official calls it, it, it almost feels like baseball. In baseball with the strike zone, you kind of know at the outset of a game what direction that game's heading and the way it's going to be called. Yeah. And I think that there is some truth to that in football, right? Yes. You just know what they're kind of, you know, what is kind of going to be allowed and what isn't, I, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with baseball because you have so much data that tracks. Does this umpire favor pitchers? Is he more hitter friendly? Is his zone higher up? Is it lower? Like, there's a lot of advanced data where you know going in, this is how this guy likes to call games. Especially so, yeah, with baseball. Did you see the video yesterday of Anthony Richardson showing up at a fan's house for his birthday? I did not. I missed that. Uh, the guy immediately sees him and, like, shakes his hand and hits him on the shoulder. And everybody's like, whoa, dude! <laughs> what are we doing here, right? <laughs> Come on. Why, easy, brother. I mean, it's cool of him. Well, Richardson was handing out fist bumps with the with the, with the the bum wing. Yeah. Well, that's different than – I mean, the guy goes right for the like – now the jugular. So, did Anthony Richardson know the fam – like, how did that come about? Do you know, Eddie? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> why would you – why would you shake the arm that's in the – it's clearly He's got in it cast. in a sling, right. It's a- <laughs> I mean, to be fair – to be fair, out of reaction, right? Yeah, just no, natural. No, no. Just, you don't even think just, about. It. I mean, you yeah. don't. It's like the targeting thing, right? You're not. You're not correct, thinking about it. You're correct. just. Yeah. No. And, and I mean, you open your door, and there's Anthony Richardson oh, yeah. standing there in a sling, like, "Hey, what's up? Happy birthday!" And you're like, "Oh my gosh!" All other thoughts. So that's goes your out first reaction, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Is yeah. like right-handed. Yeah. But he. But I, that was the the first like 20 responses on social media were like, "Dude, easy, man, easy on the on the shoulder." 
but I thought it was cool, but I was curious. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is like taking Cameo one step further. Yes. Is that still a thing, the Cameo? The platform still exists, yes. Do people still do it? I think so. You know, the the greatest Cameo of all time was Smokey Robinson. Yeah. Eddie, can can you find real quick for me the Smokey Robinson Hanukkah cameo probably if you just put in Smokey robinson cameo it'll come up but oh it, yes i yes i have seen it no i the greatest yes yes do you have it eddie <laughs> i'm pulling it up this is music legend Smokey no, robinson it's undefeated you're right when being asked to do for those that are unfamiliar i can't imagine you are but cameo is a service on the internet where you can buy like a 30 second video two minute three minute video of a celebrity wishing a happy birthday, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, whatever it might be, to a loved one. And there's somebody who knew Smokey Robinson or their aunt did or something, and they wanted Smokey Robinson to wish her a happy Hanukkah. And they obviously sent the correct spelling of Hanukkah, and Smokey Robinson went straight phonetic. Do we have that, Eddie? I'm going through the YouTube ad. Hold on. Oh, okay. Smokey Robinson, by the way, lived on the same street as Stevie Wonder. If you ever go to Detroit, actually around the corner. If you ever go to Detroit, you can go to Stevie Wonder's uh, childhood home. Smokey Robinson's house is right around the corner. And they moved Stevie Wonder there from, I think it was Saginaw, once he became a rising star. Here's Smokey Robinson with the greatest cameo ever. Hey, Marco. How you doing? Surprise, surprise. This is Smokey Robinson. Mm -hmm. I know you didn't expect to hear from me. That's right. But I was contacted by your sons, Jeff and Jarrah. And they wanted me, they told me that you used to live in Detroit across the street from me. And gosh, that's that's beautiful. Dear Stevie. Um, how are you doing again? Fine, thanks. <laughs> nice talking to you Likewise. again, I guess. Yeah. But anyway, you're living in Vancouver now. I am. And they wanted me to wish you happy Chinooka. Okay. I have no idea <laughs> what Chinooka is. Okay. <laughs> might, might have been a decent idea when you asked Smokey to do that, to explain... What exactly it is? Uh, it's a it's actually a fairly important and significant holy holiday for us. But uh, you know, it's a silent sea, Smokey. It's a silent sea. Booker McFarland, by the way, going to help us break down the Colts and the Jags, and he's going to do it next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Our next guest started 11 games as an Indianapolis Colt, and as I had just mentioned, I believe was the most critical final piece to get the Colts over the hump and getting them a Super Bowl championship here in Indianapolis. You now, of course, see his work on ESPN and Monday Night Countdown, notably. Booger McFarland joins us on the program. Booger, how are you? Doing good, Jens. What's happening? Uh, well, we're you know, this is an intriguing game. We were just talking about this and I'm interested in your perspective. I, I feel like between Indianapolis and Jacksonville this weekend, you could make a pretty compelling case, really, for both teams. Uh, I didn't think that was going to be the case at the beginning of the year with the Colts, but they seem to kind of be ahead of schedule. Now, you know, obviously with Richardson out, maybe that changes things. But um feels like Indianapolis is a little ahead of where we thought they'd be, and Jacksonville has yet to get the firm footing we thought they'd have. Would you say that's a fair statement? Yeah, I would just add that Jacksonville went over to London and they were, what, one and two, and they won two games in a row. Uh, they beat two pretty good teams. They beat Atlanta. They beat Buffalo. And, and I think you, you can kind of say that they righted the ship a little bit. 
Uh, as far as Indy's concerned, uh, you would love to see Richardson on the field because the only way you can get better at the quarterback position is by playing. However, I, I think Gardner Minshew has proved himself to be a very capable backup since he's been in the league. Um, you know, the biggest thing for Indy is now how do you incorporate Jonathan Taylor into this offense and, and, and continue to develop the young guys on the outside uh, the offensive line has to continue to try to get back to the form that they were a couple of years ago. Uh, but I, overall, I, I think your statement about Indy being a little bit ahead of where they were, I think it's true. I would add that Jacksonville winning those two games again over in London, kind of riding the ship a little bit, uh, has kind of put them back on track, especially now because it's still early in the season. Now let's go back to the part about Anthony Richardson, Booger, because, you know, obviously – the health has been, I guess, an issue, you'd say, right? I mean, we have yet to see him really consistently get going. But from what you have seen, very small sample size, but from what you have seen, we've heard a lot about how you know, he has played well, but I want your perspective in terms of the areas that he still shows the greatest vulnerability other than health would be what? Well, I, I think continuing to uh, just progress as a passer. I think, you know, he only started, what, 12 games at, at Florida? Uh, so you, you couple the what, four or five games he started. So he's only started and played like 16, 17 games in the last couple of years. And so um, he's got to continue to grow and, and see the field. Uh, but I, I think I've been pleasantly surprised because I was one of the guys that was very critical of him and critical of, of Chris Ballard picking him that high. However, uh, he has shown to be a little bit more accurate than I thought he would be. Uh, he has been developed very well so far by this staff. Uh, I, I love the way that Coach Steichen and all of them are, are kind of pouring into this guy. And so um, I, I would say, man, if, if you're an Indianapolis Colts fan, you got to feel really, really good about where he's at and his development because I think he's ahead of schedule. I also think that, you know, his ability to continue to learn um, how to run because this league is, is different than college football. College football, you can run and, and run for 80 yards as a quarterback. Other than Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick, not too many people are going to do that. you got to learn and know when the journey's over. Get your 5, 6, 10, 15 yards, and then get out and go out of bounds. And that's tough to do when you're 6'4", 240, and you can do backflips and you know run around buildings and all that good stuff. So uh, overall, I think the, the arrow is definitely pointing up. But he's got to get back on the field because he started, what, five games? He's only finished, what, two? Uh, and, and so you, if you're a Colts fan, that's not a good percentage as far as your quarterback starting and then finishing games. So he's got to find a way to protect his body so he can continue to develop and become the passer that I think everyone thinks he can become. Booger, with that, you know, we're going to see a quarterback on, on Sunday. I've talked about this, but I want your opinion on it. And Trevor Lawrence, who – you know, we've known is going to be the guy for like 10 years. I mean, since he was like in eighth grade, people knew that he was he had this special quarterback young ability. But when you see guys coming out of the Clemsons, the LSUs, your alma mater, you know, schools like that, that, that have dynamic Sunday-level receivers they're throwing to at college, 
it seems like that's where the learning curve really comes into the pros because the windows are so much closer and you don't get the separation like you have at the college level. So could that be to an advantage to Anthony Richardson and the fact that he was throwing, albeit on a small sample size, to receivers at Florida that didn't have that separation and thus learning the, the, the decrease in the windows for him will not be as big a learning curve as other quarterbacks? Or am I being too bullishly optimistic for him? No, I, I like the optimism. I, I just don't know if I would find it at that particular point. I think, you know, if you just look at the guys that have come in this league and been ready to play, I'll give you a prime example. Let's look at C.J. Shroud. Because of all the rookie quarterback, I, I think C.J. has done the best so far. He hasn't turned the football over. Uh, and if you go back and watch his tape at college, he was throwing the wide-open guys. Like, I mean, there was nobody within five or ten yards of some of those receivers at Ohio State. So did he really learn anything from that? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, just like anything in life, guys, it's about time on task. And I think the more time you, you do something, the better, at it, the better at it that you get. And I think if you're Anthony Richardson, um, the more he sees it, the better he's going to get. He, he's better now than he was when training camp started. And I think coaching matters. If you don't believe coaching matters, look at Tua Tunga Valor. Under Brian Flores, we were saying Tua was a bust. Now Tua's in the MVP conversation under Mike McDaniel. So it matters when you put your players in position to succeed. It matters when those players are comfortable. And it matters when you kind of accentuate what they do well and minimize some of the things that they don't, which is the point I think the Colts have really mastered so far. They're not asking him to drop back and throw it 40 times and, and go one to two to three back to one. It's a very, and I don't mean to minimize it, but it's a very simplistic game plan where we're, we're trying to win while also developing a quarterback at the same time, which is very hard. And so I commend them for what they've done right now. ESPN's Booger McFarlane is our guest. Booger, we talked a lot in the offseason as Shane Steichen was developing his staff, how imperative it was to try to retain Gus Bradley because it felt like that the group was pretty solid defensively a year ago and that another year with his tutelage would help this group. You've seen it from Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed, of course, DeForest Buckner, a mainstay. What have you thought of year two with the Colts of Gus Bradley in this defense? Well, Gus has kind of shifted and changed a little bit. You know, for the longest... Um, I've known Gus. I, I know Gus when he first got in the league and got started. You know, Gus was a you know drop back and play cover three in three deep zone, and we're going to rush. And Gus didn't like the blitz. Well, you, Gus has kind of had to change a little bit because this league is now a passing league, and if you can't get pressure on the quarterback, it doesn't matter what kind of coverage you or, or zones you run because they're going to be holes in every zone. So I give Gus a lot of credit for shifting and changing and being able to morph into. Uh, what he needs to for this team to be able to be successful. I think the health of Shaq Leonard uh, is going to continue to be key and has been key. I think DeForest Buckner continue to kind of be that three technique that can put a knife in these offenses. Uh, I think Quiddy Pay and some of these guys that are, are up front have to continue to develop. Because, guys, let, let's be honest, it doesn't matter what defense you run. If you don't have three, four guys up front that can actually – get off the ball and get to the quarterback and create negative plays, it doesn't matter. That's why San Francisco is successful. That's why if you look at Philadelphia, they're successful. When the Rams were humming and Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd and those guys were were humming, you got to have some difference makers up front. And as long as those younger guys continue to develop and DeForest Buckner continues to play uh, at a very high level, then this defense will be successful because Gus is – 
proven that he's not stubborn. Uh, there was a, probably a, a two-year period there where you're like, eh, maybe, maybe we need to do something different. Maybe the game is shifted. But Gus has adjusted, and I give him a lot of credit for that. It does feel to me, Booger McFarland, like we're starting to find – I think Chris Ballard – he didn't beg for that's the wrong word but he emphasized I guess you'd say patience in terms of the guys he was drafting you know they put a lot of resources into that defensive line with Dio and as you mentioned Quiddy Pay and you know and those guys now maybe it took a little bit to get jump started but it does seem like now you can start to see that light at the end of the tunnel and that that line is coming together and that they are improving week to week uh would you agree with that and where would you say defensively Indianapolis still has some weakness well, first of all, you can never have enough guys up front. Um, you, you couple that with, with Shaq and Kenny Moore and, and, and how those guys play. I think you have to have the ability to line up and play man coverage at some point, though. So where where, where do they need to kind of continue to improve? I, I would say that would be the first area. But Chris Ballard is one of the more underrated GMs in football, and people have given him a lot of flack over the years uh, based on um, – a lot of things, and most recently how he handled the Jonathan Taylor situation. But I think when you look at talent acquisition, you look at the offensive line he put together a few years ago, you look at drafting those guys on defense, he's proven to understand and know talent. Uh, I know Chris. Chris understands how to build a team the right way. Um, He's tough. He's mentally tough. He's he's hard-nosed. But he's also very fair. I think what he did with, with Jonathan Taylor shows that he's not as stubborn as some people think he is. And, and, and for him to get this uh, get that deal done, for Taylor to come in, uh, now you got a one-two punch, even though people might say it's just a one. But if you look at Taylor and Moss, I think you got a, a serious one-two punch there where you can kind of ease Taylor back in. And, and, and now you have a foundation how to develop a quarterback. And so um, I like what they've done defensively. Um, but the ability to lock down and play man coverage on the outside and, and continue to – like you need seven, eight guys up front now. Like you need seven or eight that can absolutely go. And so I would say man coverage and the ability to just continue to develop that depth up front will be the key. But here's the thing with – to play devil's advocate here, Booger, with Chris Ballard, year seven and – and still, you know, kind of maybe it's not a total rebuild, but a retool for sure. How many years do you give a GM before you can say for certain you know who they are? Well, I, I, I think you have to kind of look at what they've done. And, and I don't know all the details, but it sounds like to me when Frank was there, Frank was, you know, picking and choosing the quarterbacks that he wanted. And so can you really say Chris – was able to kind of turn the roster over because you can't really do that until you get the quarterback. And so during, you know, during the, the Wentz, uh, Rivers, all that good, that era where we were trying to find a quarterback up in Indy, uh, you, you were really just kind of putting a Band-Aid on it. And so um, I think in year seven, you look, at the, you look at the hits and the misses, all right? Like if you look at the most talented team in football right now, I think it's Buffalo – I think it's San Francisco. I think it's uh, Miami. Just look at their hits and misses. I mean, I remember the time when John Lynch drafted Ruben Foster and Solomon Thomas, what, 2-3. Or, or, I think he drafted both of those guys in the first round. Both of those guys were, were misses. But if you look at the hits that he's got, it, it, it's been unreal. You get 
uh, Nick Bosa, you get Dre Greenlaw, you get Fred Warner. Like, you got to have more hits and misses. Nobody's going to be perfect. And so it'd probably be a good exercise for you guys to do. Take a look at the hits and take a look at the misses. If you really want to judge Chris Ballard fairly, A, you judge him on a franchise quarterback. This is the guy that he's taken in Anthony Richardson. And then you start the list. How many guys has he hit on? And by hit on, here's what I, here's, here's what I would say. How many guys that you draft that have gotten a second contract either in Indy or somewhere else? Because I would call that a hit. That means they are good enough and they perform well enough where somebody or Indy has paid them a second deal. And how many guys were Indy drafted that those guys either are out of the league or they are not getting a long-term deal? So I I don't call a one-year deal. Like if a guy moves on and gets a one-year league minimum. Okay, I I don't know if I necessarily call call it a hit. And so just judging fairly on that, because in this day and age of analytics and statistical data, you can clearly see and take a look at what he's done. And I think that would be a fair assessment as to where he is as a general manager. But I like him. I think he's built a really good team in Indy. But ultimately, when you're a general manager, you got to do two things. you got to choose a head coach. you got to choose a quarterback. And so regardless of everything he's done, he's going to be judged on those two things. You know, it's interesting because he's had, to your point, Booger, like the 18 draft is unbelievable, right? I mean, Quentin Nelson, Shaq Leonard, Braden Smith's a solid player. Naeem Hines, they were able to flip. But you get Zaire Franklin in the seventh round, who's a really good player, obviously, and is going to be for a long time. Then you have other years where the guys up top didn't get a second contract or were moved before the contract came up. But to your point, I think at this point, you know, some of those guys, the 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 21 draft in particular, we're just now starting to, to really see it. And I think there are some players there. Um, you know, Will Fries was a seventh rounder, still in the roster. Quiddy Pay, Dio. Some of those guys are just now starting to come in, which would support your argument there, right? I mean, like they're just now starting to really show what they can do, and we'll see what happens with them moving forward. Before we let you go, I did want to ask you this. We had your former head coach, Tony Dungy, on yesterday, and I asked him a question. He gave a very interesting answer. And that is, Booger, I asked Tony Dungy to tell me like the moment that he could recall going home from work and saying, okay, I've got a pretty good situation here in Indy and I'm in pretty good shape. You're a little bit different because obviously you were a late acquisition before that Super Bowl push and I believe you were the final piece personally. But can you give me a moment or just a time that you can look back on and reflect and say, I remember vividly when I first showed up in Indianapolis, when I knew that we were in pretty good shape, and obviously it was a good team, but was there a specific moment where you just looked around and went, yeah, we got something special here? First of all, what did what did Tony say, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, he said, when we got Booger Mc... No, I've said that forever. What Tony Dungy said was that when he came here from Tampa, that he had a policy where on Mondays after games – they would run practices essentially for those that didn't play in the game to allow those that played to get their body right and then to allow those that didn't play to, to be able to walk through, you know, stay in, in, in rep, right? And so it was basically a backups practice on Monday. And that he came in one day and Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Edron, and Peyton were like, no. Like, if we're going to be here in the building, we are here to practice. We're here to get better every day, regardless of what day of the week it is. And so they went ahead and ran that Monday practice with the starters, and Dungy said, I knew then that I had a different mentality amongst my roster. Well, what I would say is this, is that, you know, when I first got there, it was second week of October. I can't remember when the trade deadline was. 
Um, and obviously, I didn't want to come in and try to ruffle feathers and things like that. So I just came in and just, just tried to go to work and listen. Uh, obviously, at the time, the defense needed help, and, and, and that was the reason why they, you know, Bill and Chris gave up a second-round pick for me. Uh, there was something that happened off the field uh, that, I, that I think changed our fortune. You know, we used to do something in Tampa, you know, Thursday night, because typically Wednesday and Thursday are your two tough days of practice. So Thursday night is kind of a night where guys kind of, okay, the hay's in the barn as far as the physical labor in the week. Now we can kind of relax a little bit. And in, in Tampa, we would go out to dinner, like as a defense on Thursday nights. And we wouldn't do it every Thursday night, but most of them we would go out. Uh, when I got the ending, nobody ever did that. It was kind of like a, it, it was 50 – it was 53 independent contractors and everybody just kind of did their own thing. And, and so I, I, I asked, um, I forget who it was, maybe Garrett Bracker or somebody said, what's the best restaurant in town? Said, Let's go to St. Elmo's. Okay, cool. Let's figure out. Tell everybody on defense we're going. They're like, for what? I was like, we're going to hang out and we're going to eat and we're not going to go game plan, but we, let's just, let's just go break bread and, and have a meal together. And we did that. And we started doing that. Uh, at different times. Sometimes we would do it on Friday. We would go to over the country kitchen, and then everybody would – we'd have 10 or 15 of us over there. We would go to a different restaurant. But what that did is for a, for a defense that was getting hammered and it was much maligned, I think it created a cohesiveness where people got to know everybody, man. Like when you're on that field in between those lines, man, ain't no coaches out there. Like you got to know that the guy next to you has everything uh, buttoned up, and you got to trust that he's going to be where he's supposed to be. Well, how can you do that if you really don't know me? I get it, we're pros and all that, but how can you really do that if you don't know who you're lining up next to? When I look you in the eye, because sometimes, sometimes you're so tired you can't speak. When I look you in the eye, I got to know who I'm who I'm lining up next to, and I think those meals especially the first couple that we had, changed the fortune of our defense. Uh, and we didn't see that right away because we still struggled throughout the regular season. But when we got to the postseason, uh, I'll never forget the game against Kansas City. Larry Johnson led the league in rushing that year. We stoned him. We go to Baltimore, Jamal Lewis, and we stoned him. We come back home, and we're down 21, what, six to, to the Patriots. And I'll never forget, man. I didn't have all the scar tissue that everybody else had because, I mean, I knew the Patriots and the coach were bitter rivals, uh, but I didn't have all that scar tissue from years past where Tom had broken uh, had broken everybody's heart. And so, man, we're down. And I'm like, hey, guys, like, we put too much work in for, for us to to just kind of give in right now. And, and I'll never forget Tony at, at halftime said, guys, it's it really simple. It's our time. Like, regardless of what you're thinking, what you what it looks like, it's our time. And that second half, man, I mean, we took Tom Brady and took him to the mat. And, and, and when Marlon made the pick in that game, you kind of had a feel and knew uh, it was our time. And so, yeah, I wouldn't point to a particular game, and I'm sorry to give a long-winded answer. I would just say it was those dinners, man, where everybody on defense got an opportunity to, to really know each other. That's when I knew it was different because everybody knew we could score points. But what was going to be the difference this season as opposed to the previous, I don't know, whatever many seasons where Peyton and Marvin and Reggie put up, a, you know, 30 points a game, but they, they, had, they didn't have anything to show for it. You know, it, it's funny, Booger. It's kind of like the miracle on ice, you know, the, the United States beats the Russians in hockey. 
people forget that was the semifinal. They had to come back and beat Fenton like two days later to win the gold. And that that run for you guys, the Patriots game is the one that people here still talk about. And then it's like, oh, that's right. They still had to beat the Bears too. You know what I mean? Like, I, to be honest with you, the, the it's it's a pretty big accomplishment, I think, to be able to turn around coming off of that, that comeback and that high to then it had to have been was it a challenge to and I know it's a Super Bowl so it's like Jake it's a Super Bowl there's no challenge in focusing for a Super Bowl but was it a challenge though to 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 get back to brass tacks and be like we still got a job to do here was it a challenge uh yeah of course it's a, it's a little bit of a challenge but I I, I think the reason that it, it, it was it wasn't as much of a challenge is because we had a week off and you know while we were in Indy you know we kind of put you know put all the hay in the barn and then Tony gave us the weekend off, I think. And then we, everybody kind of, you know, dissipated and got away or whatever. And then we came back and had a walkthrough Monday morning, I think. And then we flew down to Miami uh, Monday night. And it was just one of those things, man, that when you got to the Super Bowl city and you got a chance to lock in, um, I think that gave us an opportunity and really know, to, to really know that we had put that game behind us. Now, if you, if, if you know, when I won the Super Bowl in Tampa, we didn't have a week in between. So we beat Philly. We had to turn around and get on a plane um, Monday and head to San Diego. So it was a whirlwind turnaround. And, and it was very similar because Philly was our nemesis in Tampa. Like we hadn't beaten them. We hadn't beaten them in the cold. All these different theories and stuff. And um, it was tough for us to kind of put that game behind us, but we did. Uh, but the fact that we had a week off in between New England and and the Bears kind of helped helped everyone, especially the people that have been there. Again, I didn't have the scar tissue because I wasn't in Indy. Uh, I paid attention to the league. I knew about the robbery and all that. But all the heartbreak that had been endured uh, wasn't there for me. And so for me, it, w- it was a big win. But, man, my mind was on uh, another ring because I knew, I, I, I knew what that was like. And I was so focused on trying to help Tony get a ring because I was in Tampa when Tony got fired and we went on to win a ring um, subsequently after that and everybody said it was his team well here's an opportunity for him to get his own ring and so it was one of those deals where for me my motivation uh, and, and my mindset was probably a little different than everyone else's but we all came together nevertheless lastly Booger um, I don't know if you know Country Kitchen actually had a fire here about three years ago um, burnt down totally. They, they, it is reopened. That's the good news, right? Um, and then I'm curious to this, being from Winsboro, if I'm saying that right, Winsboro, Louisiana, you're from Northern Louisiana, right? I mean, I've been Correct. down, I, I've been to Baton Rouge. I've been to Louis, I've been to New Orleans. I've been to the, the, the Bayou or how, however you say it there. So I've had Cajun food. Now, d- does Cajun food go all the way into Northern Louisiana or like w- what sort of stuff did you grow up on that, that made Country Kitchen, obviously, because Country Kitchen is as authentic as, it, as authentic as it gets and people love it. Yeah, well, that's what I grew up on. So the Cajun stuff is, is more Creole, it's more down south. So probably Baton Rouge would probably be your line of delineation when, you, when you're going north, anything above Baton Rouge. Now you're starting to get into – you know, your your beans and your yams and your greens, all the things that Country Kitchen has. And so anything kind of south of that, now you're in your Cajun and your Creole and your gumbo and your etouffee and your jambalaya. And now you're like at Yats, so, right, yeah. Yeah, so it's, a, it's definitely a difference, you know, when it comes to food in the state, but you can't go wrong either way. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to give Country Kitchen and St. Elmo Steakhouse credit for being part of what 
brought a Super Bowl championship to Indianapolis. But you were, I've always said, Booger, and I will continue to say it, you were the piece that cemented the whole deal. Um, but appreciate the time, and we certainly look forward to watching you on ESPN, especially with Monday Night Countdown. I appreciate it, man. Far too kind, buddy. Thanks. All right. Booger McFarland joining us on the hotline. Good conversation. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. I've got a question for you guys about baseball last night. One of those where I sat there and wondered if I was right or I was wrong, and then I thought I'd leave it up to you guys. We'll explain next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey, we're going to do a new thing coming up here in just a couple of minutes. First off, I want to go over Booger McFarland's comment there about Chris Ballard's hits and misses. Really good commentary there on, on Ballard from Booger McFarland. So we'll kind of get um, a closer analysis of that. And then we're going to do the people's court. I have a question about something that happened in sports and I was going to opine on it. And then I thought, you know what? Instead of me giving my opinion, I want to know what the people think and what sports fans think on who was right and who was wrong in a situation. We'll get into that as well. Jake Query, Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook here on a Friday. How are you? A blue Friday. You heard JMV is going to be out and about today, 3 o'clock, getting you set for Colts Happy Hour, which begins at 6 p.m. Also tonight, by the way, here on the fan, 7 o'clock, you can hear Hamilton Southeastern and Brownsburg with the CEO of Query Company, Eddie Garrison, on the call with Jim Leisure. And then, Jimmy, you will be calling Ron Colley in East Central, correct? That is correct. That also a 7 o'clock kick? 7 o'clock start time. On the Ron Colley YouTube page, as well as Ron Colley... Medianetwork.com. Medianetwork.com. Um... Taking a look, Booger McFarland had mentioned, go back and look at Chris Ballard's drafts and where guys are, who got second contracts, etc. The only curveball that I will mention with this, for example, if we go with precedent, I used to say a lot, like when it came to Bill Polian and the, the way that the Colts were built previously in terms of their last like really great era, you know, one of the things that I, I think is easy to overlook, you would hear a lot like the narrative of, hey, Bill Polian really hits on guys that are like fifth round and lower and gets really good. Like, look how many starters he got in the seventh or eighth round. And that is true. However, Part of that was also out of necessity because he made a concerted effort, and I'm just throwing out rough estimate numbers here, but probably 80% of the Colts' salary cap payroll was invested in 10% of their roster. So when you're paying huge money to both your bookend defensive players, huge money to two receivers, huge money to a tight end, huge money to a quarterback, I mean relative to the market value, then you are going to have to spare money by putting in Jason David in a corner and sneaking him in there. And, and I will give them credit, you know, Antoine Bethea, who was a great player, don't get me wrong, but but guys that, that they were going to have to start regardless because of just the, the cap factor of it. 
and kudos, you know, those are guys that, and, and maybe, like Jason David is probably a good example of this, maybe sometimes they were masked a little bit because of how good everything was around them. So that said, maybe some of these players that you look at and you go, man, the Colts have gotten really good mileage out of that player. Is that because it's a really good player or because situationally somebody had to be playing? The first draft, Jimmy, I'm going to list off the, the, the picks and you just simply tell me A, a through F after the fact. Ready? Malik Hooker, Quincy Wilson, Terrell Basham, Zach Banner, Marlon Mack, Grover Stewart, Nate Harrison, Anthony Walker. Pretty solid, right? Yeah. Not necessarily up front. I mean, Hooker was okay. Quincy Wilson never really panned out. Uh, Zach Banner totally washed out. But Marlon Mack, Grover Stewart. I mean, not bad. Probably like a C there, right? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Next year, this one's huge. Quentin Nelson, Shaq Leonard, Braden Smith, uh, Kameko, I can never say that name. Kamoko Ture. Yeah, I, can, I have like a mental hurdle with that name. Taekwon Lewis, Naeem Hines, um, Darius Fountain, Jordan Wilkins, Deion Kane, Matthew Adams, Zaire Franklin. Huge draft. Yeah, I, I, I as close to a, an A correct. as you're going to get. Total, totally agree. Totally agree. Okay, the next year, Rocky Asin, Ben Banigou, Paris Campbell, Bobby Okereke, Kari Willis, uh, Marvell Tell, EJ Speed, Jerry Green, Jackson Barton, Javon Patterson. You get some credit there for EJ Speed in round five. He's been a good player, right? Kari Willis was okay as a fourth rounder, but the rest of them up up front there, you're really slacking, right? Willis obviously retires early, and then Campbell injury riddled, had a solid, decent year last year, and is still in the league. But yeah, I mean, it's not, it's nowhere near the year before, and probably a C, C plus, maybe. Uh, 2020, Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, Julian Blackman, Jacob Eason, Danny Pinter, Robert Windsor, Isaiah Rogers, Desmond Patman, Jordan Glasgow. Probably a B. Pretty solid, though. Taylor in the second round is really good. Yeah. Blackman was a good pick. Yeah. When he's healthy, he's been a really good player for them. Uh, you know, Eason was a bit of a stretch at four, but I guess you got to take a shot, right? Yeah. Pinter's been a serviceable player, which is all you can ask for in five. And then Rogers showed some flash, and then we know what happened, right? Yep. Uh, okay. Now you start getting into a little more murky because some of these guys haven't had time really to show you what who they are. Quiddy Pay, Dio, Kylan Granson, Sean Davis, Sam Ellinger, Michael Strawn, Will Fries. Freeze. Fries. Freeze. Good pay, pick in seven, yeah, right? Yeah, Fries. I mean. Freeze. <laughs> I, he, he, he became, are still he became Freeze when he had Wesley French beside him, right? Pay and Odengbo are nice. Pay and Odengbo are still unfinished products, as is Kylan Granson. I, I would probably put it as a, at this point, a C plus that could trend towards a B plus, depending on how it all rolls. By the way, I know it's fries, but I'm saying sure. the French fries thing got so old that I, I insist on calling him Will. Fries. I understand. Um, I, I think Quiddy Pay and Dio both are starting to show why they were taken with it. You know, Dio. If you think about it. When they drafted Dio, you know, he was coming off an injury at Vanderbilt. I think it was an Achilles that was pretty devastating. And so they 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 basically said, look, we're going to be patient on this guy. And he's a first-round talent that was there. The same thing that they that had hit for them with Julian Blackman the year before. So I get why they did it, right? Yeah. But I think overall, pretty good draft. Now, 22. Alec Pierce, Jelani Woods, Bernard Ryman, Nick Cross, Eric Johnson, uh, Drew Ogletree, Curtis Brooks, Rodney Thomas. If Ryman had not shown what he has shown through the final whatever four or five games of last year to what he's shown now, this has the potential to be one of his worst drafts. Because missing on Pierce 
if that's where it trends. And we don't know yet, but we I don't would know agree. yet. But missing on Pierce is tough. And Jelani Woods could still salvage that, but like it missing on Pierce when they knew they needed a wide receiver, when there were other wide receivers there they could have grabbed. If he winds out not translating, it's a tough draft. And the other thing too, you, you know, keep he, in mind too, they traded for Carson Wentz, so they didn't have the first round pick right, in that. Right. And then they, the other thing that he's done a lot of is load up on like the the later, like the the day two picks. So he had three third rounders th- yep. last year. Nick Cross is one that I think a lot of people thought they reached on based on athleticism, and it has yet to really pan out. Ogletree could be a value find, though. I would so agree. Maybe I'm being a little See, bit. See, that's too the harsh. thing. He does have he does have some players in like round six and seven where he's been pretty good. Yep. And then this year, you know, so far, I think you can say. Obviously, Josh Downs is going to be a player. Yes. Anthony Richardson, you know, we think is going to be a player. Right. I think Juju Brents looks pretty good. I would agree. Blake Freeland so far has given them, you know, is he a pillar? No, probably not. But man, to go in, I mean, right away as, as a, a rookie, rookie and have yeah. to go in there yeah. and play that position. Yes. That is not an easy thing to do, right? No, not at all. Will Mallory in round five remains to be seen, but I think that, that he has shown a little bit. And once again, and it's... This Darius is, Rush is the one that like. There's always a guy like around in, in the middle of the draft where you know people are like this guy's the steal and then he doesn't make the roster. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, for me, the, the biggest thing in terms of not maybe a theme going on, but you see a number of tight ends added to the cupboard over the last couple of drafts, and and my biggest point of frustration, and I know there's only a couple of them around the league, but. I would like for one of these tight ends, and it's still very early with some of them, and maybe Ogletree does that, maybe Mallory does that, rise to being a an every-down tight end, or that's getting a majority of the snaps. Eddie with the breaking news. Uh, Braden Smith has been ruled out for Sunday's game, which means Blake Freeland will move over from left tackle, where he was the last, uh, last week, and now he will start at right tackle for the Colts on Sunday. I'm telling you, if, if he plays serviceably then that's an invaluable kind of guy a, a sweet you know remember remember years ago they had charles johnson as a lineman and he was really valuable because you could just kind of put him anywhere you know like somebody would go down he was just kind of your band-aid guy that you just put anywhere and that's what you need right joe Haig, uh, i think there was another one joe Haig is another one that's a really good call yeah he's he was the exact same way right uh, out of north dakota state i think right and, and you could just kind of put him anywhere you know you got a junk drawer at home, right? Yeah. And like the junk drawer, now this is really bad to say that I'm comparing offensive linemen to junk, but you have that one drawer of stuff that like you never throw it out because you're like, I never know when I might need it. Something pops up and you just open it up and you're like, oh yeah, th- that's why I've kept this for that long because I knew eventually I was just going to have I was going to need it for something. And you need kind of like linemen like that, right? Where you just... You, they may not get a lot of reps, but when their number's called, man, you need it, and boom, you plug them in. It's invaluable. Now, you got to play, right? you yeah. gotta, you got to perform. But uh, And Eddie will keep us abreast on other uh, news as it comes along if anybody else is declared to be in or out for the game in Jacksonville coming up on Sunday. Again, Colts happy hour coming up at 6 o'clock. But for now, let me tell you something that happened last night. So I'm watching. I was kind of flipping back and forth amongst a couple of different shows. And I was paying attention to the baseball game. I have to admit, when I was a kid, I had a poster of Steve Carlton and Mike Schmidt. Back in the day, you'd go into, I mean, the, the precursor to finish line, like the athlete's foot, 
or Rising Stars was a big one in the mall. And it was a big deal. I would always, I'd save my money up and buy different sports posters. And they had like themed sports posters. And one of the popular themed sports posters of my of, of the day was Mike Schmidt and Steve Carlton. And it said MVP and Cy. And of course, Steve Carlton was the Cy Young Award winner. He's holding a baseball with flames coming off of it. And Mike Schmidt's holding a bat. He was the MVP. And they were wearing those those old school Phillies uniforms. The 80s. I mean, that's, you know, when they won the World Series with Tug McGraw in 80. I think they, they first broke those out. They, they used them again like in 83. Um, the Pete Rose era Phillies uniforms, which they had last night, which was cool. So I'm flipping back and forth and I'm watching that game. And of course, the Phillies win. So after the game, now, Eddie, you saw this, right? Oh, yeah. I watched it live. I was like, oh, boy. So who is your favorite former Red that's now a Philly? Nick Castellanos. Okay. 100%. So Castellanos had a great series. The game's over, and Matt Weiner, who I knew when we worked in St. Louis together, he was at KSDK in St. Louis when I was at Fox Sports. Knew him peripherally, but a nice guy. Really a nice guy. And then he went from there to TBS. Matt Weiner's doing post-game interviews. And I watched this interview, and I go, okay, this is like really awkward. And somebody asked me, they're like, well, what's the most awkward situation that you've been in in an interview? And I can remember it perfectly. When I was working in St. Louis, I was covering the Cardinals, and they had a game against – they had a three-game homestand against the Diamondbacks. And I was working for Fox Sports Midwest, but as a result of that, you're kind of carrying the flag for the different bureaus of Fox Sports Net. And there was a report of a a pending trade for the Diamondbacks – and I can't remember what player they were rumored to be getting, but the Arizona affiliate wanted me to go in and ask Randy Johnson about this trade. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I go in, and Randy Johnson had pitched that game, and he's doing his interviews, and of course he's like the most surly SOB anyway. And and I don't know him, right? He didn't know me. I've never covered the Diamondbacks. So I go walking in, and he's answering his questions about the game or whatever else. And then I, here I am, this guy that he's never seen before. And I'm like, hey, Randy, you know, there's, there's reports out there that I think it was like Travis Lee or somebody else was involved in a trade. You know, th- th- this is coming down the pipe. And he goes, I-, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, well, I know that there's a rumored trade that's going to be happening to affect your team. And he goes, well, who's the trade? Tell me who the trade is. And I'm like, yeah, man, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I, I don't work for Arizona, but they're, they're, and so I'm like looking at my sheet and he's like, I mean, who are you? Like, you don't even cover the Diamondbacks and you're asking me about a trade you don't even know about and the trade hadn't even happened yet. Like, and he was absolutely right, actually. He was, he was in the right, but he was a total jerk about it. It was terribly uncomfortable and awkward. And fortunately, it wasn't live, right? But it was just really awkward and uncomfortable. Um, and I, I, I as the years have gone on, I have actually given Randy Johnson credit because I'm like, I probably was not as prepared in that situation as I needed to be. Partially my fault, partially not. But I just wasn't. And so he was in the right, I think. So last night, let's play the audio first, and then I'll introduce the segment we're going to do with it. This is last night, Matt Weiner with Castellanos after the Phillies had advanced into the NLCS. Nick, nobody in Major League history has hit two home runs on back-to-back postseason games, but you just did, and you guys are headed to the NLCS. Where's the question in that? There's no question. Thank you for telling me. I thought you'd be happy with that. Uh, I am, man, but we got eight more wins. Now, here's the thing. 
I have decided that instead of myself determining which of the two of those comes off looking like the, the jerk, if you will, that we would do the people's court and I will allow either listeners or you guys to tell me between Matt Weiner and Castellanos which one is actually in the wrong. Is it Weiner's fault for not asking the question? Or is it Cassiano's fault for being kind of a smug jerk, even though he might have been being sarcastic in the answer? And and I am genuinely curious from what a sports fan thinks. First off, Jimmy Cook, you tell me, did you find that to be an awkward exchange? Yes, I did. And if I'm pointing blame, like, yes, Matt Weiner didn't ask a question, but you see situations like this all the time after a big moment like they're just summarizing what happened and the player takes it and then yeah man it was crazy like the able to knock two home runs out of there sent us to the NLCS this is awesome like you see that all the time it's a normal exchange the player has the opportunity in that moment to either identify what was said and I guess call Matt Weiner out or play along with it and again to your point Jake I think there was sarcasm to his voice so I would say Castellanos but I'm not mad at him because, I mean, he played out of his mind and he did smile after he said okay, it. So. I, I want to know what non... Like, I think we could have a bias here because we ask questions and hold a microphone for a living. Sure. So 239-1070 is the telephone number. I want somebody to, to, to call in and serve as our Judge Wapner here, right? And let me know whether they, when they heard that or are watching it. Let's play it one more time. Here's the interview yesterday, last night, Matt Weiner with Cassianos. Nick, nobody in Major League history has hit two home runs on back-to-back postseason games, but you just did, and you guys are headed to the NLCS. Where's the question in that? There's no question. Okay, thank you for telling me. I, I thought you'd be happy with that. Uh, I am, man, but we got eight more wins. Okay, so we have a caller here that we will bring in in just a second. I'll be Doug Llewellyn. Doug Llewellyn was the kind of smug guy with blonde hair that would like sit there and evaluate. Did we lose the call already? Hung up as soon as I went to answer the phone. Okay, there's a um, couple of already. Here we go. Uh, I don't care at all. It seems fine. Okay. Uh, definitely the reporter's fault. Classic Jim Rome interview. Make a statement as a question. That from James. I was watching it and thought the player was a complete jerk, somebody says. So I'm curious... Andrew joins us right now. Andrew's going to be one of the members of our jury. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing great, Jake. How are you? I can't complain, man. It's Friday, right? Like, here's yep. the thing, Andrew. Here's the thing. I could tell you that I'm I'm, I'm going to complain, like I'm not doing great. You know, I, you know, I took my medicine this morning. I'm a little nauseous. Look, I'm sitting here talking for three hours, talking sports, hanging out on a beautiful Friday. What the hell do I have to complain about? And you don't want to hear it anyway, right? Agreed. <laughs> I, I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm really happy. I just had my second daughter on Tuesday. So. Did you really? Congratulations. Congratulations, Andrew. What, what is your daughter's name? Her name's Palmer. Okay, and, and Palmer is daughter number two, you said? Yes, sir. And is Palmer like a family name? Nope. Okay, what's daughter number one's name? Bren. Bren, okay. Uh, everybody doing well? Great. They're all great. Andrew, uh, that is outstanding. Okay. So when you hear that exchange, do you think Matt Weiner is at fault for not having asked a question, or is Nick Castellanos at fault for not, as Jimmy said, kind of running with it? 
Uh, I agree with Jimmy, but I think Matt could have been like your thoughts. Just like it kind of had an awkward exchange at the end. But I think I think honestly more on Cassianos because he could have just run with it the way Jimmy said. It was pretty easy to be like, yeah, yeah, I'm stoked. We hit hit two home runs back to back. Going to the NLCS, we're pumped, ready to get out there and play against. I don't even remember Diamondbacks. Okay, so last question then, Andrew, is this. And again, congratulations on the the new uh, daughter here. So my other question, Andrew, is do you feel, as a as a viewer, do you feel it is the responsibility of the sideline reporter to always have it in the form of a question, like as if it's Jeopardy? No, it doesn't need to be a question every okay. time, I don't think. All right, so Andrew, we're going to do three of these, and then we'll, we'll tally up the votes. Uh, Andrew, thank you. Appreciate it. Curtis is next. Curtis, what's up? Oh, not much. How are you doing? Good. Curtis, would you like to congratulate Andrew on his uh, second time around as a father? Yes, I would. Congratulations. <laughs> See, that's what we do here in the company, Curtis. We like all the employees to look out for each other, right? That's that's great because uh, he's got something on me. I don't have no kids because never met the right one, but I'm glad to see him get to watch a little acorn grow up to be a complete nut. See that? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like, Curtis. All right, Curtis, now what do you think? Um, when you listened to that interview, A, did you find it awkward? I kind of did because I look at it differently with all the noise in the background. Who's to say he didn't hear what Matt was saying? Okay, so in other words, you think he might have just been saying, can you like – so you would actually give this – if you were on the jury here, you're leaning towards a hung jury because you need more evidence, right? Correct. Okay, all right. Always in the background. Now, Curtis, just out of curiosity, what line of work were you in, or are you in? Uh, I'm a uh, delivery uh, person for a company that okay. hauls uh, tools and uh, tools and construction supplies. Okay, so you are the, the director of supplies. That's that's what you are for the company. Is that cool? Yep, that's all right. cool. All right, <laughs> that's our man, Curtis. All right, let's go to Todd last. So, so right now we're we're looking at a hung jury because we got one, one way, one still needs more information. So Todd's very important here. Todd, what's up? Hey man, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Todd, do you drink coffee? <laughs> uh, I do, but I haven't had any here in uh, in a couple hours. Really? You sound like you might be caffeinated. That or you're just are you just pumped up because it's Friday and it's sunny out? Dude, it's Friday. It's sunny. Um, the Colts are going to get a W this weekend, and it's just, it's just a good day, man. Uh, Todd, you sound like a nice fella, actually. Do you want to come to my PBR party if I ever have one? Absolutely. Di- Diet, been, Diet Cokes are perfectly yeah. sufficient if you want to drink that, but we'll just sit around and watch games and drink PBR. Well, no, I'll drink the PBR. I'm stimulated enough. I don't think I need any Diet Cokes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Todd, what line of work are you in? Uh, I do uh, legal compliance work for an annuity company here in town. For, for a annuity company? Uh, an annuity company. Okay. Life and annuity. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I, you know, I did some legal work for the annuity company myself back in the day. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> okay, so Todd, when you were wa- you were watching it or you just heard the interview, A, do you find it awkward? I do find it awkward. Okay. And I was watching it live. Um, but here's the questions I would ask back if I were Matt, because um, as a journalism uh, student, I, I assume... Right. You have to ask the question, um, you know, where's the question at is what Castellanos asked. And I think the answer has to be it's before the at, Nick, because you never end your questions in a preposition. Right. 
Outstanding. So you actually, but see, now here again, though, Todd, this is the difficulty. You now are kind of cross-examining both here where you find fault, like you're throwing this out, you find fault in both areas, right? I, I guess so, but I lean more. I, I'm really on, on Matt's side here. I think Nick's, you know, being a little uh, a little aggressive there. Okay. Now, Todd, where did you go to school? Did, or did you go to law school? No, no, no. I uh, finance, started off in finance, but I'm in the legal realm now. And, and, and what school did you your, – your last class you took as a student was at what school? Uh, accounting 401 at Ball State. Ball State University. Okay. And then high school was where? Uh, Miami Trace, Miami Trace High School, out of Ohio, actually. Arch Schleister U. Really? Arch Schleister went to that high school. He did. I was actually uh, best friends with his nephew growing up. Boy, I'll tell you what, Arch had a rough go at it, right? Yeah, and I'll tell you what, me and me and his nephew didn't win a lot of money either, man. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait. So this was a hereditary thing? <laughs> is, no, that, is that where we're going no. with that? Wow. Okay. Just kidding, just kidding. But no, you're right. Art has had a uh, yeah. It's, it's been tough. It's been tough um, on him. It's been tough on the family. But um, yeah. Well, Todd, we here's are, the yeah. thing. I'm assuming because of your connection to Art Schleister and the fact you grew up in Ohio, even though you went to Ball State, I'm assuming that at some point you might have been an Ohio State fan. Is that a fair assessment? That is an unfair assessment. Never in my life have I been an Ohio State fan. Um, <laughs> Todd, all the more reason why you and I are going out and having PBRs together, man. I can't wait. I can't wait here's the other thing todd if you so do you like michigan since you don't like ohio state and living in ohio did that force you to at times act like you liked michigan no so i'm a notre dame fan actually. let's go oh god let's well, go you know todd. what you're let's paying go. you're paying you were doing really well until right then todd my everything man, was going todd, great right man man alive like that was let me tell you something you were like seinfeld you were doing awesome until the finale and then it's like what the hell just happened Hey, but I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, though. When I was looking at colleges back in the uh, early 2000s, Clemson is actually a place where I made a visit, and I almost went there and almost stayed in the shoebox dormitory. I believe it was called at the time. It's a okay. nice little backhanded Todd, compliment there, Todd. Jake. What about this, Todd? How about yeah. we go to a Clemson game together? You okay. you do the Query Road Trip rules on the Clemson road trip, but when we go to Tiger Town Tavern, we have a PBR and we kill two birds with one stone. I love it. All right. And here's the other thing, Todd, I appreciate it. Uh, your friends in Ohio are going to be thrilled this weekend because the Michigan Wolverines, who they despise, are going to get stunned and shocked when the fighting Hoosiers of Indiana go in tomorrow to the big house. So I stand on the side of the reporter is the problem here. First of all, I agree with Nick. There was no question really asked. Second of all, you've got to know who you're talking to. You have to know the personality of the player. And Nick is a very direct and very sarcastic kind of guy. And if you're not going to ask him an actual question, then that's the kind of response you're going to get. So you have... Oh, yes. You have evidence of this, right? Yes. Now, Rich Nye, who I believe, I've always said, is the best sports reporter in town. He's the one person that asks questions where I'm like, man, why didn't I think of that? He weighs in and says the reporter needs to ask a question. I would tend to agree with that. Okay, but if he would have said, how do you feel, we would have journalism snobs coming at him saying, well, you never asked that question because that's a lame question. I mean, That's the way he could have saved it, but that would have been then... Not you, journalistically you, you, simply, you simply say this. You have done something in the postseason that's never been done before. What was it about this matchup or this particular scenario that allowed you to get into that kind of zone? Sure. You ask that, right? Uh, do we have yes. past history here? Yes. Okay, we'll do that next. You want to do it next or do it now? We'll do it next. Okay. All right. We continue here on Querying Company. So we- 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We were just discussing, so Jimmy, let's let's tally this up and then we'll get back into some news about the Colts from Eddie. Um, You are, your final answer... You're blaming Weiner or Castellanos? I blame Castellanos. But okay. again, I'm willing to let it slide to an extent because of the moment that it was. But yeah, I'd blame Castellanos. I like Matt Weiner a great deal. I think he's really good at what he does. He's a super nice dude. But in that situation last night, I'm going to put it on him. I agreed that there should have been a question there. Now, Eddie, you and our, our audience basically was was kind of a hung jury. So, Eddie, you are saying that you have to know your audience. So Correct. Speak, you, have right? to, you have to know who you're talking to. And obviously, Matt Weiner didn't know who he was talking to, really, and the kind of person Nick Castellanos is. And that is one of what? What kind of person? Very direct and very sarcastic. You have audio evidence of such? Yes. Okay. Uh, what are we about to hear? So you'll hear a couple of different clips of just Nick in interviews and then some other little fun bits that I found about Castellanos. Okay, here we go. Nick Castellanos, who last night had that exchange. Here we go. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. You in Philly is the best fit. Nick Castellanos always needed to play for the Philadelphia Phillies. Am I on to something? I mean, yeah, for Philly. It started before the game because there was some clown on the television talking about our bullpen. You know, and karma's real in this uh, in this game. So whoever that is, it's a good lesson right there. I don't have a college degree. I hit baseball. Where's the question in that? So, he's a direct dude, right? Very direct. And, of course, he is the one that hit the home run during the uh, Tom Brenneman moment when Tom Brenneman essentially resigned or, or announced that he was probably going to be leaving from the Reds. I wouldn't say resigned, but people know that history. And then also, he was uh, one of his home runs he hit this year. Um, it was during a broadcast, and they were talking about, I can't remember who, uh, a former player that was recovering, an, an older gentleman that was recovering from, I, I believe, cancer surgery. And cast as they were talking about it and kind of tributing the guy. I mean, the running bit, the running bit within Castellanos' career post Brenneman is that whenever bad things are talked about on the broadcast and he's up to bat, he's going to go yard. Correct. You know. Um, now, in terms of the Colts getting set for the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday, Colts happy hour coming up on this radio station at six o'clock. Tonight, then at seven o'clock, you can hear Eddie on the call for Hamilton Southeastern and Brownsburg. We now know that Braden Smith is not going to play. Correct, Eddie? Here's more breaking news. Correct. Yes. Quiddy Pay also out dealing with a concussion, did not recover. And Jimmy, there was another one on the list as well. Yes, it was. uh, Molly Cox expected to be out. Also added with this post on Colts.com, Bernard Ryman and Quiddy Pay both remain in concussion protocol. Ooh, so Ryman's not in. They label them as still in the concussion protocol, which would lead one to believe that, yes, they're not going to play. But that becomes important because Bernard Ryman and Braden Smith both out. You got some movement on the line there, right? Yes. It should be noted they have not, and I haven't seen it yet on Twitter, maybe Eddie has, officially 
declared either Raymond or, Ryman or Pay out. Beg your pardon, um, but. It's not looking great. They said check back for the full week six injury report, as is the case with these early posts on Colts.com. So the reason we'll keep an eye out, but it doesn't look great. If you look, for example, at left tackle, right? I mean, they've gotten pretty good play filling in there, but with Braden Smith out, do you have to move some people around? You know what I mean? Like where if. In other words, if 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 both your tackles are out, where do you turn in terms of filling those spots, so to speak? I mean, your options at that point would be... I mean, Blake Freeland would be one of your options, right? Correct. Freeland's one, and then rest of the depth pieces in terms of offensive linemen they have, Wesley French, Josh Sills, Arlington Hambright, like that's, that's their depth in terms of offensive linemen. Hambright, it would seem, maybe goes to the right. I'm not sure, but we'll talk to Kevin Bowen about that coming up 20 minutes from now. It sounds like on the Ryman front, as well as the Quiddy Pay front, they're not officially out yet uh, per Mike Chappell. They still need final clearance to me. Uh, They both, I think, have practiced all week, which just tells me that they're waiting that final clearance from the independent neurologist that uh, doesn't have a stake in this, for lack of a better phrasing. My my usual guidance with that, again, this means nothing. This is just with the emphasis on concussion protocol and to Eddie's point, and that's kind of why I outlined to the audience of it doesn't look great right now, is you would like them to be out of the concussion protocol by the time the final injury report is released, which will be later today. But that doesn't mean they couldn't clear it tomorrow. We're just we're running out of days for that to happen. But to Eddie's point, they have gotten practice reps in. So just something to monitor. But yeah, it's it's asking a lot. Jake out of an offensive line that again has looked fairly good this year. They're top five in the league in terms of protection, a number of different metrics. It's a clearly a bounce back year to this point, but you're asking a lot of players that ordinarily wouldn't be asked to fill those roles against the Jacksonville defense that is solid. And I don't want to have to have another day where Josh Allen's putting together two, three sacks on the other side for the Jaguars. You're asking a lot out of the O line if. Ryman has to miss. Ryman and Quiddy Pay, both full participants in practice on Wednesday and Thursday. So Yeah, so that would tell you that but you said Pay has already been ruled out? No, no, no. no. Again, they're in the they remain in the concussion protocol. That's but if all they've says. gone through both levels of practice, non contact and contact, that would lead you to believe they're elevated. I, I think Ryman's in. That's what I, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, again, I just it's such they don't give you a ton of details on the concussion protocol. So that's why the fact that we don't have the full injury report just yet and they're not out of protocol officially, that could be, like Eddie mentioned, just semantics trying to get through the last step. It could be that, again, the independent neurologist who has no dog in the fight doesn't feel like they're ready to go. Just something to keep an eye on at this point. I, You know, this is the challenge also here. Not that anybody cares, but I'll, I'll let a glimpse behind the curtain. We always have, and and at times, understandably so, get grief for our picks that go up on the website in terms of who we think is going to win the game, right? Correct. The problem is we're asked that, and those graphics are built long before we really have any idea who's playing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm usually always last. I submitted my pick about an hour ago. But even then, you didn't know who all's in and who's out, and who did you go with? I took the Jags. Score? 
I'm really curious to see, you know, Booger McFarlane. That was a great conversation with Booger McFarlane, by the way, at 1230, including a fabulous story on the difference that he feels was made. I thought it was interesting when we had Booger McFarlane on and I mentioned to him that we asked Tony Dungy what was like the epiphany where he knew the team was going to be good. And McFarlane said, well, what did Tony say? Like he was genuinely curious to hear what Dungy had to say. I mean, that speaks volumes to the type of coach that Tony Dungy was for his players, type of respect that's there, that that would be what Booger would want on the table first is what his right. coach's answer was. Yeah. Right. Um, but when he answered the question and gave a, a really good story about what he thought was the difference in the Colts getting over the hump to win the Super Bowl, you're going to want to hear what he had to say. I thought it was great. Uh, and that'll be up in podcast form on the website, or you can go back and watch it on YouTube, uh, Query and Company on YouTube at 107.5, the fans' YouTube page. But... Um, you know, when we were talking to um, Booger McFarlane and, and we're talking about the Jaguars, and he was saying the Jags really have kind of turned a corner here in the last couple of weeks, and that may be the case, but they feel like a team to me that still kind of takes one step forward and then maybe not a total step back, but like a half step back, right? And, and just takes a while to kind of get things going. Now, Trevor Lawrence was able to do what he wanted to here in week number one, and you saw that you know, the Jags, each time the Colts got close, the Jags would kind of pull away a little bit. But I actually think that the Colts, especially with Zach Moss playing the way he is and Jonathan Taylor and the continued emergence of Josh Downs, I think they're going to try to do what they can to keep the ball out of Jacksonville's hands, and I think the Colts can go down there and win. This is going to be another real test for the Colts' young secondary, a lot of their young corners. When you look at what's going to be asked of them, they're going to rely heavily as well on Kenny Moore, Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones. They're three serious weapons, not even including Evan Ingram, and the Colts are going to be asked once again to be able to contain the running game. Travis Etienne has looked really solid the last couple of games, but to your point overall about the Jaguars, this is really a separation moment for them. The Colts are going to kind of be at arm's length, you would think, with how the Colts' schedule was built this year versus what the Jaguars have as a first-place team. But this is a big separation window for them. They take care of business against the Colts, then they go to New Orleans, and they go to Pittsburgh. And then after that, it's a showdown against San Francisco at home on November the 12th. So over this four-week span, the Jaguars really have an opportunity in their realm of thinking to create some distance and then they go Titans-Texans after that. So this is really the next six weeks where they could, I don't want to say put the division away, but gain a little bit of separation on where things are with the Colts. Conversely, though, to your point, Jake, and why I think, I don't have the selections out yet, but I would assume a handful or a number of our fan personalities are going to wind up taking Indianapolis is not just because they feel like they are built to hang around in this game and could win it, but they too have that same path in front of them because of how their schedule's built. They could get some separation against the Jaguars here too. It's actually 60-40. It's out already? Yes. Wow. Go to 107.5 The Fan on Twitter, but uh, six of us picked the Jags, four of us picked the Colts. Eddie, which one'd you go with? I went with the Jags. So who are my three compadres? Andy Sweeney, James Adams, and Nick Cotton Jim. Okay. So Andy and I have that in common. We both picked the Colts because I, I picked the Colts as well. Yeah. Yep. Although, if I'm not mistaken, I think he switched this morning and picked the Jags. I could be wrong. I don't know. I have to go back and listen. There was a tweet out from him earlier today that was saying he was picking the Colts because he had quote tweeted the um, the uh, Max Bowen helmet 
race. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was he was picking the Jags and he switched to the Colts. I got him backwards. Yep. Yeah, yep. I just think it's it's kind of a big show me game for the Colts, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, this is who they are now. At least for the time being, they're not the Anthony Richardson. You know. We know that he's going to be the guy when he comes back, but for right now, we just need to make sure that Anthony Richardson is going to people's houses and not getting hit too hard on the shoulder when he's wearing the <laughs> the arm in a sling, right? Yeah. And it's Minshew baby. The stash is back. What can he do? The stash is back, and does Jonathan Taylor get turned loose to go along with Zach Moss? Those are the things that we're going to look for on Sunday, and those are the things that theoretically we're going to talk with uh, Kevin about coming up in 15. So we didn't. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between even get into this but eddie your girlfriend just walked in and, and made this point i'd forgotten so one of the jenners was down in bloomington right uh kindle yes now she's she's a twin is that right you said that with confidence i i always get kindle and kylie <laughs> well they're backwards. twins right yeah it was kindle are they twins no they're not twins but no. they're sisters right yes so okay correct me if i'm wrong on this okay you've got the Kim Kardashian uh-huh. and then her sister's Courtney, and they don't yeah. get along, right? And then the Chloe Kardashian, who some people thought was O.J. Simpson's daughter, right? And then, and all three of those, their parents are Bob Kardashian and the the Jenner gal. And then after she was married to Bob Kardashian and had those three girls, she got divorced and hooked up with Bruce Jenner, who's now Caitlyn Jenner, right? Yes. And then she and Bruce Jenner had three kids. Uh, one is kind of a doughy guy. And then two daughters, right? I think, I think Rob is Bob's kid. Oh, is Rob? So okay, so Rob is a Kardashian then. Yeah. It's not Rob Jenner. Uh-uh. It's his name's Rob Kardashian. I believe so. Okay. Now he, here's the thing that always fascinated me about the Kardashians. So that, hard to keep up with that. He, he, well, cluster. You know it, that's why the show's called Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Eddie. So duh. He, here's what I always found fascinating. We would not know anything about who the Kardashians are except for this fact when they were catapulted into fame. In 1994, O.J. Simpson ran into some legal issues and was on on the lam. Like, no one knew where he was. So Bob Shapiro, his attorney, holds a press conference to plead for O.J. to turn himself in. This was like a few hours before the Bronco chase. In that press conference, he has a friend of O.J. Simpson's read what appears to be a suicide note from O.J. Simpson. The friend reads the note that is O.J. Simpson pleading with the media to leave his children alone and let his children live in relative anonymity. But the friend is Robert Kardashian, who now suddenly becomes famous because he's reading this note from O.J. Simpson and mentioning the fact that O.J. wrote it in the bedroom of his like 12 year old daughter who is kim kardashian and so in reading a letter asking the press to make sure that they don't hound and have paparazzi 
following around O.J. Simpson's kids, Bob Kardashian, in fact, is putting his name, not intentionally, but his name is out there then so that 10 years later, his like three daughters can become the three most famous kids in all of America. What the hell are we doing here, right? Like, like, it, like it's just, I think people forget that that's who, who that was. That speech would have been great 15 years ago. What's that? That monologue. The, the ship is well sailed. You're right. What are we doing here? But the ship is sailed in terms of what are we doing? I mean, they- well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, but give them credit. It's like an empire, right? Yes, and so, no doubt. One of those, and which one was it that was in Bloomington? Kendall. So, Kendall owns like a, a liquor business. Uh, she has like some kind of alcohol or something. And I she was, remember. she was promoting it in Bloomington, right? Correct. Dry campus. Yep. Well, it was at a bar, Eddie. Dry campus, yeah. The the bars off campus, right? Yeah, I'm just saying it's a dry campus too, for what it's worth. Now, right, Jimmy? I know to Jake's point. It was at a bar. I understand what you're saying. They still drink alcohol. And it was an upstairs pub, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Didn't she make an AMF? I don't know. Okay, are you aware of the AMF? Delightful. Jimmy's aware of it. You aware oh, of it, I Eddie? Am. I guess not. Do you ever go down to Bloomington? I have been, yeah. I get it. Obviously, you get it upstairs. Clearly, clearly you were the one kid that was following by the dry campus rules, right? <laughs> Kilroy's well, makes a great one as I well. I didn't go to college down there, so I don't. I've never been to a. I've, I haven't really been to a bar down there either. She was promoting. You're missing out. Eight one eight tequila, and was it Big Red Liquors? There you go. Big Red Liquors. Um, the whole thing, like with. Cam, I think the hottest one's Courtney, by the way, just for what that's worth. Your thoughts, Eddie? Can't say. By the way, Eddie, since your girlfriend's here, let's ask before we get to Kevin Bowen real quick. Uh, oh, we up. talked about this yesterday. Um, okay. Jimmy yesterday. Oh, Lord. So this is this is Eddie's girlfriend, who also works at the station, is here. Olivia. Correct? Olivia. So Olivia, who is an Eastwood Eagle and North Central Panther, um, might have noticed that my name was misspelled on the plaque inside Eastwood Middle School, but that's cool. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, so Olivia, yesterday Jimmy Cook mm-hmm. was wearing, in place of his, Jimmy is a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. Awful. Okay. Now, <laughs> what is Eddie's favorite sports team, Olivia? Oh, it's the Colts. Okay. We're so football. So if the two of you, and I'm not trying to put you in a bad position here, but we're, we're speaking hypothetically, mm-hmm. right? If you were to be married... And you were to notice on Colts game days that Eddie removed his wedding band in order to put on a Colts ring for good luck of the Colts. Mm-hmm. You as the wife would say what? On game days, I think it's fine. Live? Thank what? you. But no. Thank you, you. But do you wear it all the time? No. No, only on game days. I said that yesterday. Only on game days. Said it, said it yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Well, it depends. But yes, on game days, it's okay. If it was 24-7, I'd have an issue with it because if... No, I spent money on a ring. Then I would feel so. You bad. would be okay with Eddie wearing a Colts ring <laughs> on his wedding finger and taking off his wedding ring? Yeah, because game day is more important than me, honestly. Wow. <laughs> We've been together almost four years, and he pays wow. more attention to the Colts when they play than than me on Sundays. <laughs> okay. So, so based on that, your favorite program that you watch on television that Eddie does not participate in is what? Uh, right now, the Golden Bachelor. 
Okay, uh, that's the one about the old guy my age that's yeah, from North hunting e- down yeah. cougars, right? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> if you were to wear a golden bachelor ring... Isn't he like 20 years older than you? What's that? He's, he's like, like 74. He's like in his 70s. Is he really? Yeah. yeah. Well, d- believe you guys, believe me. Once you get to 51, 51, and 74... Once you're the second half century. I'll put it yeah. this way. Okay. He, I, he's closer to my age than the bachelor is, right? Uh, yeah, it depends probably. on who the bachelor is. Yeah, yeah. the bachelor's probably like 25, right? Yeah. Uh, Closer to 30, most mostly. Okay, well, so I'm yeah. halfway in between the two. But if you were to wear a golden bachelor ring as opposed to your wedding ring on the days that the show is on the air you think that'd be cool with that you could have said joe burrow yeah probably not the golden bachelor now but... is it true that joe burrow's your hall pass oh 100 percent who's eddie's hall pass it depends on the day right so you're, you're giving multiple passes out yeah he's so indecisive on who it is it could be selena gomez or okay. uh madonna i don't know how about selma hayek <laughs> <laughs> okay kevin bowen's next You just heard from. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Um, Kevin Bowen, in terms of what they're going to be talking about on Monday, he will join us here momentarily to preview the Colts and the Jaguars. And as we talked about uh, so far, what we do know is in terms of players in, players out, uh, it does appear as though Quiddy Pay and Bernard Ryman would be trending towards playing, right? Yeah, based on the practice reps they got. Well, Cox out, right? Yes, yes. By the way, would this game... And maybe it does, and I'm just missing it. But would this game feel bigger in terms of what's at stake and the trajectory of the franchise if Anthony Richardson was playing? Because I feel like it would. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. I I mean, it gives you a a better sample of who long-term they want to be, right? right? But they still, you know... As we talked about with Booger McFarland, and again, that interview with Booger McFarland is going to be up on the website. Uh, hope you will get a chance to go back and listen to it because it was great. Querying Company, wherever you get your podcast. He offered some great insights, uh, not only about the Colts, but about when he was here and helped put them over the top to get a Super Bowl. But I think that, you know, as he was talking about, you, you know, maybe Jacksonville has kind of righted the ship, but I don't think that we thought that these two teams would be this close to one another, yeah. statistically speaking, as they are. Joining us now to talk about that and more, you hear him in the morning with Andy Sweeney on the wake-up call with KB and Andy, Kevin Bowen, joining us. Uh, Kevin, uh, most importantly, your son picked the Colts, and that's been a while since that's happened, right? Um, that's, That seems right. He's 3-2 and two on the year, so he certainly has picked the Colts at different stretches, but... I, I want to say the last, well, maybe he picked the Colts against the Rams now that I think about it, but he definitely picked the Titans last week. We've had people saying he's right-hand dominant. You need to put the Colts helmet on the right side. I'm like, guys, he's 12 months. I mean, <laughs> right. You know, I mean, like, are we really, we, we, we sound like Earl Woods with, with uh, some of this chatter here. But, yes, he did uh, He did go with the Colts. Um, who did you, And you went with who, Kevin? I went with Jacksonville, and I honestly, in probably the last hour or so, I, I almost feel a little bit better about that pick. I was a, a hair on the fence, but I think the loss of Braden Smith, which was just announced um, you know, about an hour ago, I, I think that's a big deal. 
I think he's one of your more indispensable players. Josh Allen, not the quarterback, the pass rusher, is a pretty good pass rusher, and he will be opposite Blake Freeland, I would assume, a whole lot. It's also a late-week announcement. You know, I, I know um, Freeland practiced on Wednesday for Braden Smith, but Braden got a hip injury in Thursday's practice, so he's out. And so I think that's a big deal when you're playing uh, when you're playing a really good front. You know, the we'll begin – I guess with Jacksonville, actually, Kevin, in the fact that, you know, clearly we're not sitting there analyzing game in and game out the Jacksonville Jaguars. But to your point, they do have the ability to get to the passer. It it felt to me at the beginning of the year like I thought that front four was a little nastier than they've been so far. But they had the ability to put pressure on. But going back to week one, and maybe it's a different team on both sides of it, but going back to week one, if you look at the areas that Jacksonville was able to exploit of the Colts, the area the Colts need to shore up from that would be what? Um, I don't think the Colts secondary got torched in that game, but you could look at it statistically at the end, and it looks like a poor day for the secondary. But I think for any of us that watched that game, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, as you know, Jake, I mean, he just made some big-time throws and a variety of different Jacksonville pass catchers made impressive grabs. Again, I don't think the Colts got torched. Like, I don't think it was, you know, as – Puka Nakua running free or DeAndre Hopkins running free. I just thought at moments of truth, Jacksonville uh, out outplayed you, even though I thought the coverage was was decent in those situations. So I think that is a big, you know, element to it again. I mean, I, I think with Travis Etienne and that wideout group, even without Zay Jones, who's going to miss this game, uh, and then obviously throwing Lawrence, I think it's the best collection of quarterback skill you'll face all year long outside of maybe Cincinnati. So, um, I, I would point to that. Now, so much has changed, though, Colts-wise. I mean, even in the secondary. You know, the, that game was Dallas Flowers and and uh, Daryl Baker Jr. around Kenny Moore. And now Sunday it'll be, you know, Juju Brents and Jalen Jones. But obviously your running backs, I mean, it was just such a pathetic week one effort um, out of Deion Jackson and company. And now it's, you know, Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I, I can't think of a bigger upgrade or maybe a bigger 180 from that. And then obviously quarterback-wise, it'll look a lot different with uh, going from Richardson to to Minshew. KB, as you follow injury reports and you look at where Bernard Ryman and Quiddy Pay are at right now, Eddie brought this up. They're both full participants, but they still remain in the concussion protocol. And and I'm kind of relying on you to educate us a little bit more on this. Would you look at the practice report as the indicator that okay it's probably just a formality and they'll clear it or is there still gray area where they both might not make it out of concussion protocol yeah i mean i would say the former and that it is a formality but i with all these jimmy especially concussions i i hate to like kind yeah. of commit to a hundred percent but let's look at ryman he practiced i believe on friday a week ago friday um, and then practice all this week. I mean, any time a guy's coming back from a concussion, practices four straight times out of a no-contact jersey through all of that, that's a good sign. Quiddy Pay, he practiced the entire week. And both these guys have already missed the game. So both of them have already – I think actually Ryman's missed two. Um, so uh, given all of that, I would say it's a good sign. But, you know, again, you had Ryan Kelly practice multiple days a few weeks back, and then, boom, all of a sudden on Friday he has a setback and – he doesn't go, but I, if you had to make me kind of peg one of them, I would say that both of those guys play. And without, you know, uh, Braden Smith, obviously, Ryman is an absolute must because you want Blake Freeland. You know, you, you can't clone 
Blake Freeland in this situation. On the Jaguars' side of the ledger, is Calvin Ridley the most explosive wide receiver test the secondary has had all year? Um, Explosive is probably the good word to use. I mean, you know, I think Pukunuku is good. I think DeAndre Hopkins is good. Uh, who's the other guy that torched him? Nico Collins, right? Uh, but it, it, explosive is probably the right way to put it, Jimmy. You know, maybe some of those other guys are kind of more death by a thousand paper cuts, which Ridley, I think, has the ability, even though in that game I don't think he had just like, you know, give me the ball, watch me, you know, run around like Tyree Kill. But I think he's got a little bit more of that game breaking in him. Um, now, I, you know, I brought it up earlier, and I think it's worth coming back to, you know, Nose Jones for Jacksonville. When you go back to that week one matchup, all three of those wideouts, and really throw in Evan Ingram, too. I mean, Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley and Zay Jones and Ingram, they all made just some darn – I mean, they all made plays that you dream of a Colts wideout making. And that element of, okay, no Zay Jones, you know, that, that's a big deal because I think Jacksonville probably looks on paper and says, hey, our strength is what? Wideouts. Uh, where's the Colts' weakness? Oh, secondary. Okay, boom, let's test that. And, and now, if you want to – you know, maybe you could match up Kenny Moore a little bit more with the Calvin Ridley because um, you know that their depth, Jacksonville wideout depth, isn't, um, you know, as extreme maybe as it was back in week one. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Ridley, of course, is a stud. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence in week one looked pretty good. And, obviously, he um, he looked pretty good in London as well. Kevin, does the play of Zach Moss in any way dictate the 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 rate in which they bring back and continue to use Jonathan Taylor. I know that sounds crazy because we know Taylor is an elite level running back. But do you think that there's like a sense of urgency in getting Taylor reinvolved, or do you kind of temper that a little bit because of the way Moss has played? By the way, I heard your Moss reference to Drew Ogletree earlier in the week going the tree Moss comment, and I shamelessly admit i did laugh a little bit there so. <laughs> well thank um, you uh-huh. yeah nice i don't know if i want to admit that in a public setting but i just did um you know I, I i still think with running back you ride the hot hand and i mean i, I know how much you're paying taylor and obviously taylor can certainly things could change i mean you come out on sunday and all of a sudden jacksonville you know has no answer for for taylor maybe the second half that totally changes well you're not paying him that rest. much yet right well yeah and, and i just think you ride the hot hand and I almost feel like with the Zach Moss story, it's a hell of a story. But Zach Moss was taken one round after Jonathan Taylor in the 2020 draft. Like, let's not act like you know Zach Moss was, you know, on a couch last week. I mean, this is a guy that certainly did something of note in college. I mean, Utah's all-time leading rusher. And NFL teams viewed him in enough of a light to take him in the third round. I mean, if you draft a running back in the third round, you mean something. Now, obviously, Buffalo, it didn't work out for him. Um you know, it's funny, my, my brother-in-law texted me earlier today, and he's got Moss and Taylor on his fantasy team. He's like, okay, what do, what would you do? You know, part of me looks at that and thinks, all right, you give the running backs 30 carries, is Moss 18, Taylor 12? I mean, Taylor was six last week, so do you double that amount? Um, again, on paper, that seems fair to me, but I'm such a believer, especially at running back, that so much of it is just – based off of hot hands. I mean, I remember times, honestly, in Taylor's career where it's like, you know what? It might make sense if they go to Naheem Hines for another series here, even though obviously Taylor's the guy that, you know, you would point to more often than not. So, uh, again, maybe a slight more than 50-50 to Moss, but ride the hot hand is how I kind of believe in it. 
in that same vein about riding the hot hand, Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. here on The Fan with the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Jake asked me yesterday if Gardner Minshew... Remember how he phrased it, so I'll phrase it this way to you. If Gardner Minshew leads the Colts to an AFC South first place spot between now and a potential return for Anthony Richardson, do you stick with Minshew or do you throw the rookie bat out there? I know we're simulating six weeks, five weeks into the future, but what do you do? Okay, so give that to me again. So when Richardson returns, are we saying that Colts are first place in the South? Oh, what game? What game? Let's say, let's say. Let's say Buccaneers for the sake of argument. That'd probably be the earliest, but let's say Buccaneers, 26th. Okay, and not to get too technical, has Minshew looked good or has Matt Gay kicked a bunch of 59 yard field goals <laughs> to win this game? Jake, let's say that Minshew's looked Minshew's good. Minshew's yeah? been efficient. He's been the guy that we've seen so far that has won games for them. He is who we thought he was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Dennis Green. No problem. Um, yeah, I, I would. I'd probably go back to Richardson, and I've lived in much more of a you commit the refs to Richardson, but I've tried to make the baseball analogy with these games with Richardson and Gardner. I mean, in two of the three wins, I mean, hasn't Richardson pitched five innings and he's left with a 3-1 lead? I mean, like, certainly the Houston game, it's been even a bigger lead, and even the Tennessee game, he gave you a little bit of a lead. And I do think when you prepare all week and you play a quarter and a half against a totally different style quarterback, that change of pace, while Gardner should be commended for how he's played, I think that change of pace is really big. Um, if you leave, the, the, the reason I was curious about what game you were pointing to left in the season, you know, if you go to Tampa Bay, that's still seven games left in the year. I mean, that's a big yeah. amount of games. And again, I think Richardson just gives this offense more juice, more potential, however you want to describe it. Um, certainly I, I don't want to discredit what an AFC South lead would look like, and I don't want to discredit Gardner Minshew, but I still even think in the short term, Richardson gives you more, and obviously the long term. And that storyline just speaks for itself of how, in my opinion, I just think it's the most important storyline, bar none, in the season. Kevin, I hate to, to beat this dead horse, but I will. Um, how long do we give and and I know that he shows flashes don't get me wrong I mean I'm not sitting here saying that this is like that we've entered into you know write it off category but I'm becoming increasingly concerned that Alec Pierce is not going to really take off and give them the the flexibility they need at the receiver position Uh, a am I being too critical and b if I'm not what's the window of time before you kind of know who a receiver is yeah, I, I don't think you're being too critical. I mean, certainly if you're Michael Pittman's agent, you're probably thinking to yourself, hmm, uh, we've got some more leverage here based totally. on how Alex Pierce has looked through the first handful of games of this season. You know, the thing about Pierce is you can make the case he's a one-trick pony. That one trick is pretty darn good when it's clicking, and that is the ability to bring in deep balls. Uh, I mean, we saw it in the Jacksonville meeting last year at home. I mean, his ability to ice the game with that deep ball um, from Matt Ryan. So that is what makes him, you know, kind of like, I don't know if attractive is the right word, but, you know, there are some wideouts, like Josh Downs, for example. His strength is probably a little bit more underneath. Now, obviously, Downs made a play down the field last week. That was pretty impressive. But, like, for Josh Downs to truly impact the game, you almost feel like he needs four or five catches. The really, okay, oh boy, two of those came on third down, and okay, he moved the chains on three or four of them. Whereas Pierce, He's probably more of like if you target him three times down the field and he catches one and draws a 
30-yard pass interference, those are huge plays that can spark drives. And, again, Pierce has shown that. Now, having said it, you know, I tend to think we're right in that breaking point of when you have to evaluate. I mean, year two into year three I think is huge. I also think Richardson to Minshew probably hurts him a little bit because, again, his strength is down the field. But we're definitely reaching that point. I mean, um, I think you can still be open-minded to what he can be, but at the same time you acknowledge what he's shown so far, and that is in no way, shape, or form do I view him, Michael Pittman, and Josh Downs and think that is the wide-out trio for Anthony Richardson for the next five years. I, I, I like some of those guys, and I think they can be decent wideouts, but um, you'd be putting way too much on the plate of your young quarterback to kind of view, I think, those three of these are the you know this is the trio of the future no questions asked kevin if you're chris ballard and you know uh, insert mark dykton playing the wideouts bit from chris ballard here but <laughs> if you are chris ballard and you know you're looking at your wideout positions for anthony richardson and you know you've got to get a wide receiver do you get one to go above or below michael pittman oh above yeah yeah i mean i, I I view it like Stephon Diggs trade to Buffalo and what what was that, Allen's second year, third year, something like that. Obviously AJ Brown to Philly uh after Hertz's, you know, first big season. Yeah. I view it in both of those lights of somebody above. And I like Pittman. I, I've probably been maybe a little bit more pro Pittman than most, but uh yeah, you gotta go above and beyond. Especially when you look at tight end Jake and I don't like there's not a Kelsey in that and Kelsey's way too high of a of a bar, but you know, whatever, insert whoever the third best tight end is in the league. You don't have that in that room. So, uh, you know, when you kind of are talking pass catcher, um, it, it'd be one thing if you had this bona fide kind of Pro Bowl tight end where maybe you could offset a little bit of wide out, but I would say above Pittman. For sure. I, I think tight end, Kevin, the thing to me that's the most fascinating about the tight end position for the Colts is the fact that I still haven't figured out if they're really deep at tight end or if it's just that they have like four or five guys that are all equally mediocre. And I'm not trying to be like Debbie Downer when I say that, but I haven't been able to determine that. Which way would you lean with that? Yeah, it's a good question. I I think the depth guys are a little bit better than mediocre. Like, I'm kind of intrigued by Drew Ogletree here as of late. Um, I'll be eager to see. We'll see if Moali Cox clears concussion protocol in time for Sunday. I'm eager to see Will Mallory again. Um, you know, it wasn't much, but he, he showed me a little bit earlier this season. And then Jelani Woods, Shane Sykin said today, at some point, they expect him back this year, but he's been out due to a hamstring injury all year, extremely nagging hamstring injury, aggravated in training camp, and has been out since. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think there are, like, a notch above mediocre with some intrigue. And, and I don't know. Maybe we've kind of reached it with Mo Ali Cox if we kind of know what he is at this point. So maybe kind of put him to the side. But you know, guys like Mallory, guys like Ogletree, uh, I, I would say even Jelani Woods showed enough last year to we, where he would fall into that category. But I mean, still, for, you know, if you all of a sudden got in the draft and you were drafting 11 overall or 12 overall and Brock Bowers from Georgia was there, I mean, that to me would be really hard to pass up just because I do think in this day and age of the NFL, if you've got an absolute stud at tight end, that can be a massive weapon. And, you know, if you need any reminder, just watch last night. 
to your point, yeah, I don't see a Dallas Goddard. I don't see a Mark Andrews right now. Just looking for like that. Yeah. And those are still top yeah, names. But yeah, that's that's probably about the range I would like to see. And I mentioned that earlier in the week of like, you think Shane Steichen probably wants that when you look at what they're able to do in Philadelphia with Goddard as kind of their lead tight end. Kev, when you look at Kevin Bowen as our guest, when you look at the next six weeks for both these teams, Jaguars have a buy mixed in, but they go... Saints, Steelers, Niners, Titans, Texans, and the Colts will throw a couple out there. Browns, Saints, Panthers, Patriots, Buccaneers. Is this the last best chance for the Colts to take a commanding conversation around the AFC South? The only reason I'd go back and forth with it is because they do have that third place schedule to where like there'll still be room if the Jaguars stumble, but does this feel like their last best opportunity to really have a conversation about winning the South? Yeah, I, I would say it, it's um, it's about as important as you're going to get in week six. And I, I, I think people would find it interesting if they watch. It's kind of a question I threw to Shane Steichen today at the end of the presser. I think if they'll watch and listen to Shane's answer, uh, that's a pretty locked-in, fired-up individual that fully knows what Sunday means. In that you don't play another divisional game for about two months after this one. Uh, you're already 2-1 and one in the division, so that's a nice start. You win this, you're 3-1. and one. If you win this, you'll obviously have split the head-to-head of Jacksonville. It will be Jacksonville's second division loss. And that is the second tiebreaker after head-to-head. And obviously head-to-head would be split. So you'd be in the driver's seat to have the head-to-head tiebreaker over the team that I think everyone views as the favorite in this division. Well, take it a step further. You just laid out some of the schedule coming up, Jimmy. Uh, I think I saw earlier this week the Colts have the third easiest schedule the rest of the way. Jacksonville, I believe, has the sixth toughest schedule the rest of the way. So when you factor all that in, I mean, I know it's October 15th, but it just absolutely massive Sunday in terms of what it means. And obviously when you lose the first matchup with this opponent, um, it, it certainly matters more. And if you were to lose Sunday, then, you would, you know, then you'll be a game back and you won't have the head-to-head tiebreaker. So all of that kind of factors in. So. Yeah, I mean, I think if you want to be in any sort of driver's seat, whether it's Halloween, whether it's Thanksgiving, you know, as you look ahead to these future dates, Sunday is kind of in the must-have. You could still get back into it, but you're going to have a lot of ground to make up if you lose on Sunday. Kevin, I don't know if you um, caught the program yesterday or heard the chatter about it, but I'm curious. And then I promise Jimmy after this I'll put it to bed, right? But but we're getting a survey of coworkers here. That's important. I agree. We need it. Um Yesterday, Kevin, we started doing the show, and I looked over at, at Jimmy, and you know, I mean, Kevin, you, you've done enough radio with me, you know that I'm very attentive to to the other people on the radio when I'm on the air, right? I mean, I pay very specific attention. I don't get distracted by anything. And No, uh-huh. no not at all. And uh, <laughs> I look over, and, and, and Jimmy is on his, you know, he's a married guy, right? Like you, married guy. And, and I noticed that his wedding band, I'm like, well, it looks tarnished. It changed colors. And then I noticed that he had removed his wedding band and, in fact, was wearing a plastic Kansas City Chiefs ring because the Chiefs were playing yesterday. And he said, oh, yeah, it was no, silicone. this is – what's that? It was silicone, just, okay. for the, just for the sake of the story. Um, and, and, and he said that his wife is A-OK with this. And I said, she might tell you she's A-OK with it, um, but she's definitely discussing it with her friends. You, Kevin, have been obviously connected with the Colts for a long time. What would Maddie say to the removal of the wedding band on game days and the placement of a Colts ring? Or Notre Dame. 
or Notre yeah. Dame? Notre Dame basketball. Yeah. How about Notre Dame basketball? Yeah, I think I'd probably be doing the dating apps. I, I'd probably be trying to, you know, figure out what the next option is. And Ignati would probably <laughs> would, 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 would you would say probably have gone down? Would you say what I did is worse yeah. than uh, than losing a wedding ring and then having someone needing to come and save the day and, and track down said wedding ring? Would you say like what I, I did was worse, or just just trying to clarify here? I love me some Jimmy Cook. Love Jimmy Cook. <laughs> um, and, and this is the yeah, but as I as I preface it, but yeah. man, I. Chiefs ring, I just, boy, I, I don't know if I can go there. I mean, I've done a lot. I mean, Jake's seen it. I have been shirtless before for a Notre Dame basketball hire. I've certainly done a lot of things that Maddie has looked at me and been like, you're this passionate about Notre Dame sports? Um, but I would say removal of a wedding ring and putting a silicone, just to make sure that we're all on the same page here, silicone Notre Dame ring on, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you wore a silicone ring daily, would it would it be better or still about the same level of nah? Can't do it. Like part of me is like trying to like picture what the chief ring looks like. It's a it's a it's a red ring. Mahomes on the other. It's a red ring and it just has Chiefs writing in yellow. It's just literally a red ring with and it just says Chiefs in their font in yellow on 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 the band. Our listeners sent us Colts ones in terms of the pictures online. We could probably hook you up if you're in the market. Okay. Well, did you win this at like a if second shake was still around? Did you get the second shake? Uh, <laughs> That's exactly uh, what two I quarters, said. Two, two quarters, two quarters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Machine yeah, on the way yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jimmy, I love you, man. But congrats on the win last night. Thank but, you. Oh boy. Yeah, I think if you wouldn't, if you just would have rocked the ring, you might have scored, you know, twenty-seven or thirty-one last night, and not struggled with Denver for yeah upwards of three quarters. Probably. Now, did you actually, Kevin? Did you actually? Wa- I mean, I know you got to get up early. Did you watch that game last night? Yeah, actually did. Matt, it was Maddie's birthday last week, and and her and her sister were up in Chicago. They 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 went to a show, so I was like, all right, I, you know, I've got the remote the whole night. I I want to be entertained by a sporting event, so I, I did a little bit of the back and forth. But I, full transparency, I had Denver plus ten and a half. So Harrison Bucker's field goal there, uh, I was not happy. <laughs> I was told it was going to be bad weather and to hammer the under, and I figured bad weather meant Mahomes couldn't throw or as well. Which I guess he did kind of struggle, and so uh, yeah, I, I shockingly I actually watched the whole game. Okay, fair enough. Do you know what roughing the passer is? Because I don't. I have no idea. Can't figure it out. That's yeah, fifteen yards. Which, what, what, Thank you. Which player are you complaining uh, about? Uh, the the score the Broncos had to make it an eight point game. They went for two afterwards. Chiefs blitzed a corner uh, yeah, and they yeah. called Where roughing the passer because yeah, yeah, yeah. of the body weight. And I, it, yeah. Yeah, sounds like you're not. But again, maybe if you wouldn't have rocked a ring, you would have got that <laughs> okay. call. So you're complaining about them not knowing that, but you're going to ignore the fact they just blatantly missed like two penalties against Minnesota there at the end of the game? I mean, you've clearly evolved, which is fine. And you know, as Kevin said, like he loves me. I also love you. You've evolved into this tyrant of apparently everybody like loves the Chiefs from a, it's wearing a white hat, which is not true. But yes, I'm going to complain when it goes against my team. Yes, I will. Yeah, landed uh, landed on the bo- with all his body weight on him. That's probably yep. what it was. Yep. I wish. Jake, there was... are you storming the field in Ann Arbor tomorrow? <laughs> Kevin, thank you. You, you know this is going to happen, right? Actually, somebody just texted me and asked if I want to go to the game with them. Uh, I've got to write it back. I I can't do that. Um, but and, and here's the thing: I would love to go to the big house tomorrow, except for that, Kevin. It's what is it? Three and a half hours to get up there, probably something right around there. So seven hours round trip for a foregone conclusion. I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. 
I mean, I'll go up there to, to you know do some jazz hands and, and clap and, and snap fingers on the field when they're doing LEO songs afterwards when Indiana shocks the world. Kevin, I'm telling you right now, you mark my words. I've never been more sure about anything in my life that absolutely, un- unquestionably, without hesitation or doubt, the Indiana Fighting Hoosiers are going to go up and throw the biggest monkey wrench in the world into the college football playoffs by stunning Michigan. 105,000 people, average age 105, all in stunned silence. You scooping the 34, Kev? You know, I, I, I've always been a believer if you have an intra-conference game and you, I'm getting 30 points, I have to take the team getting 30. Like, because, I, but then it turns into a math problem where I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, I need this drive the last two minutes and 45 seconds. I need this drive the last. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I blink, and it's like, wait, how did they just score 21 in three minutes? They, they, just, they literally just forced a fumble on the kickoff. They literally just had a pick six, and they just scored on a you 70-yard touchdown. And now my math is done. Well. But to Jake's point, nothing I want more than Tom Allen and Straight No Chaser in the locker room afterwards snapping <laughs> their fingers. <laughs> and he's got it. All right, Kevin, uh, Jags and Colts on Sunday, and you went with, officially on the fan, you went with Jacksonville, correct? Yeah, 26-17 is what I, what I went with. It's at, it looked like we were kind of split. Uh, based off the graphic I saw. I went with, and again, this was kind of before we knew some of the injuries, probably yours as well, but uh, I did go with the Colts. Um, and, and And I did that more so out of, like, still a hesitation that Jacksonville is consistently putting things together as opposed to belief the Colts, you know, are going to go down there and, and take control of it. But uh, I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to go with the Colts on Sunday. But we, we shall see what happens, and I know you guys will be talking about it first thing on Monday morning. Kevin, enjoy the weekend. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. All right, Kevin Bowen joining us on the program. Again, KB and Andy, the wake-up call. 7 until 10 on Monday. They will be talking about this game and a lot more. We'll take a look at some of the games around the league, college football as well, as we roll along here and start to close it out to hand it over to John coming up for a Blue Friday, 3 o'clock broadcast for JMV, then Colts Happy Hour at 6. It's 93.5-1075, The Fan. Uh, Hey, Jake. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Somebody just asked, are they testing out the new hybrid engine at IMS today? They are. As a matter of fact, I believe they were done at 2 o'clock. Uh, they practiced yesterday from 9 until 5. That included rookie orientation for Kyle Larson and then I think David Malukas was out there running today. And yes, I do believe that they are. Now, whether or not that engine is going to be ready to go for the season, I think that's the anticipation, obviously, for IndyCar. But a new hybrid engine um, has been tested in the last few days. That is correct. We'll get into the NFL season, uh, excuse me, the weekend, and the games on slate coming up in just a minute. Before we do that, uh, we have a caller on line one that I believe wants to submit a resume for the company. Uh, line one, who's this? This is Barry, a.k.a. BTR. Barry, a.k.a. BTR. Now, the BTR stands for – I know BTO. What's the BTR stand for? Well, that's my initials. Okay. Uh, and Barry, um, if you don't mind me, you'd like to be in the company. Is that right? Exactly. What about the company, Barry? Uh, if you don't mind me asking, we'll do a quick interview here. What What about the company uh, is it that you like that you want to be a part of? Why, why do you want to be a part of this company? I love the insight that you and Jimmy give on a number of subjects. <laughs> okay, well, so far that's that's right answer number one. That's that's good. Uh, question number two would be, Barry, what do you believe that you bring to the company? Uh, 
just a good personality, I guess. Okay. Uh, and what line uh, of work are you in? Uh, it's very unique. I work for a Swiss-based company, the America Division in Noblesville, now, and we are the gold standard for um, nationwide for the installation and manufacture of radio frequency and magnetic shielding for MRI rooms. Really? You mean for like when you get an MRI on your knee? Yes. Okay. Now, what's that one company uh, on Benford, just south of Noblesville, like between 71st and 75th on Benford, there's some Swedish company that's like, it's like an amoeba. It's it's overtaken half of the northeast side with a building the size of the finance center. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do not. I, I think they're sweet. You said you're a Swedish company? A Swiss company. Swiss. I'm sorry. I always get the Swiss and the Swedish confused only because of the first two letters. There's probably not much else that they yeah. have in common. But uh, Okay, so a Swiss company. I, now, here's the thing. Uh, Barry, I'm going to put you in charge. Your title for the company. Are you ready? You are the director of neutrality. Neutrality. Mm-hmm. Is that mm. fair? Because your 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 payroll is out of Switzerland, right? No, it is not. We're the America division. But it, but but the company's based in Switzerland. Work with me here. The, the company's <laughs> based in Switzerland, right? Yes. All right. BTR director of neutrality. There we go. And MRI imaging. I like that, too. We need all the help with imaging we can get, so we'll take that. Have I, we reached a hiring freeze? Because that felt like the most uh, in-depth of all the uh, lead-ups to get hired. You know, I was thinking the, about this. The questionnaire this has expanded. That's this right. morning when I was getting ready for work. Yeah. I haven't received my paycheck yet. Have you? Over for this the company? company? For this company, yeah. Uh, um, Have we decided we, we, we need, need the HR payroll. department we need for payroll. that, I feel we, like. We right? pay on the 12th and 29th unless the Got 12th it. falls on a Monday and then you get paid on the 9th. <laughs> got it that's how we do it here at the query god right it. Got but it. we're still working things out we have a, we we need a director of finance and then once we have that i'll make sure you get paid uh there are some dud games this weekend to be honest with you in my opinion let me give you a couple of games that i put in the in the query Gah! category okay cut that i want that as a sounder from here on out so we'll go to my jefferson city missouri analogy okay you're a guy living in jefferson city missouri sure Actually, we're not even. Gonna, we won't even go Jeff City because they. You'd be a Chiefs fan, right? Yeah. Give me a state with no pro sports team. North Dakota. North Dakota. So you live in Bismarck, North Dakota. You're laying on the couch. You went out Saturday night with your buddies. You were bowling. You had some beers. Whatever. You're you you you're, you're asleep. You wake up. You move to the couch. You're just kind of in and out of sleep, and you're flipping the channels. And like. You know, Shawshank's on TBS, probably like Breakfast Clubs on some random cable channel. And then you're like, well, what sports is on? And you flip over, and it's the Washington Commanders and the Atlanta Falcons. Oh. Guh, guh, guh. Thank you. <laughs> are, are you, at that point, are you sticking with it, or are you going back to Shawshank? In the interest of the exercise, I'm going back to Shawshank. Okay. I would remind our listening audience, Red Zone is available, so that would be what I would be hiding behind. Right. Yes, I go back to Shawshank. This is not a degenerate. This is just a normal dude. He doesn't have red zone, okay? Hey, not just gamblers watch red zone. Fantasy football players watch red zone. People in North Dakota don't have red zone. They don't even have running water. Okay, Minnesota and the Bears. Which are you going with? Uh, Minnesota, I'll watch that game. Yeah. What? 
Minnesota and the Bears? Sure. Fantasy football. Duh. Well, no, I mean, like, I, I'll i see some Justin Fields, though. As I say that, I realize Justin Jefferson is hurt and out, right? So that game loses some of its appeal. Okay. Um, Seattle and the Bengals. Yes. That's a Bengals appear to have turned a corner. You kind of want to see if the Bengals still have turned the corner, right? Correct. Heck to the yeah. Okay. 49ers and the Deshaun watson Browns. Niners are fun to watch. They carry that matchup for me. Yeah, I'd still watch it. Niners are, are carrying some cachet. They're 5-0, and oh, okay. Agreed, but that's going to be an ugly game, yes, right? Yes, correct. It'll be a Niners highlight reel. Carolina and Miami. Same with Miami. They're a very, very fun team to watch. One of the most explosive offenses in the NFL. I'd watch that game. New Orleans and the Texans. Gah. Yeah. Stroud is intriguing, but I need a that's not more enough to save it. That. I know. Well, I thought you'd have it ready. No, yeah. I need a little more. Good. <laughs> New Orleans and Houston is definitely in the... I mean, come on, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, boy, here's the here's a major good game. You ready? <laughs> see see how he does it? it that's why, that's why I wanted it ready to go. The, I wanted uh, it ready to go. The Patriots and Raiders. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Cardinals no, thank at you. Cardinals at Rams. Probably still a guff, but it's outside. It's 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 just outside. Okay. There are certain teams in the National Football League. Cooper Cup plus Pukunakua equals fun time. Well, it's fun to say. Uh <laughs> there are certain teams in the National Football League that for whatever reason, whenever I think of them, yes. I think people know I, I don't I don't like winter. I mean, I love Christmas. I love, you know, there's a lot. I mean, football season is great. The people that fly in to places where they get snow just to experience it around Christmas time have it right. Because by the time January or February rolls around, I was having this conversation the totally. other day, and we're still dealing uh, with the snow. I've had there, it. Jimmy, there is nothing in the world more depressing than that, like, January 2nd, where you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> So we just came off the holidays. That Now it's back to the grind. Got to go shovel the driveway and, and, now. And literally, I am in the middle of a tunnel that is like feels like it is as long as the Holland Tunnel, <laughs> and it's just dark, right? It gets dark at 4.30 in the afternoon. Yep. So when I think about those, like the days of it was dark at 5 o'clock on a Sunday, and the 60 Minutes theme is on, and it's 40 degrees outside, and you're back to school, and you're just like, oh my gosh. Whenever I think of those days, the dark, rainy, snowy, just gross days of bleh teams, it's always the NFC and AFC East. It's always New England or like the Giants. This next game that I'm about to mention is that personified. And I don't mean the sexiness of the teams. I don't mean the players. I just mean the colors. I mean the stadium. (laughs) I mean the fan base. All of it. Eagles at Jets. I, literally, that that is like a yeah. Sylvia Plath poem yes. on football. Yes, right. Yes. I, again, there's been some worse matchups that you've read today, so like I'm not going to fully like just the Eagles. Play, they should just play the Cure at halftime, <laughs> right? <laughs> Philly at the Jets. I mean, Philly's obviously really good. The Jets aren't, 
and then it's they both have these ugly green uniforms and they play in these weird stadiums in the northeast where it's dark at like three in the afternoon and you know the most exciting thing to happen the next day is you look you know fights in the stands Ugh. there is currently an ad for a sports book company where they talk about how football's running out, there's only so much football left, and they reference the fact that enjoy it while it's around because in a few months, a cold night at a Buffalo Bills game will just be a cold night in Buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> and that's to, to, to yeah. a T what you're referencing there. Uh, Detroit and Tampa, somewhat exciting because the fighting Mottmans are trying to go for three for three since he got the PBR from you. And then the Giants, Bills, <laughs> come on. Have you seen the injury report for New York in that game? They've already ruled out Daniel Jones, Andrew Thomas, John Michael Smiths, Azizul Jolari, uh, and Matt Pert. So they were down five starters already. Quietly, Sunday Night Football is becoming a very gross section of oh, yeah. the NFL calendar. Boy, you're not kidding. You are not kidding. Uh, we'll get to Colts Jags specifically next. The Jay Cook Play. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Days of the day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Plays of the day focused on the weekend. Jake, I can't back you on the money line because sportsbooks won't allow me to, but I'll scoop the 34. Cowards. Listen. I don't know what to do. Don't really bet the mortgage people on Indiana, okay, on the money line. (laughs) Somebody just sent me a thing. I I bet 50 bucks on the money line. I don't think there is a money line, but Indiana's getting 34. They are. I'm also going to take Washington over Oregon. That concludes my college football bets for the weekend. Uh, Give me the Bengals on the money line over the Seahawks. Enjoy another PBR. The Lions take down the Buccaneers on the money line. I'll take Tyreek Hill of the Miami Dolphins as an anytime touchdown scorer. And Jonathan Taylor finds the end zone as well Twiggy. on Sunday. Twiggy finds Pater. Those are the plays. Hey, how about this? Here's a big one. How about Wyoming at Air Force? Air Force is first in the Mountain West. The Pokes right now at 5-1. I was about to say, how are the Pokes not in first place? And then you just laid that out for me. That explains it. Well, actually, no. Wyoming, I think um, it must be one fewer game that Wyoming's played. Wyoming's losses to Texas out of conference. Correct. I'll add in one. I'll scoop I'll the bet, 11 and a half. But I'll bet Air Force beats Wyoming. I'll scoop the that. 11 and a half for the Pokes. They're getting 11 They're getting and a half? They're getting 11 and a half. Yeah, they'll cover that, but Air Force will beat them. Yeah. Now, I think it's weird. Air Force uses almost exclu- uh, strictly a running game, right? Isn't that I right? I thought that was Army. Army, Navy do that. I think Air Force actually... Navy is the one that has the triple option, right? Yeah. Navy's the one that has triple option. Uh, Air Force on the year, their leading passer has 400 yards passing. Well, that's not great. Now, have they used multiple quarterbacks? That would be my following question. No. Uh, How's Zach, the running game? Zach Lariner on the year is 14 of 19 for 410 yards. There you go. Uh, rushing the football, by the way, they have three hundred and four. Uh, no, 1,649 total rushing yards and 304 total, total runs. I would say you're accurate. Yep. So Air Force goes on the ground. That's odd, right? Yes. Should be the other way around. I agree. Um, I think the Colts actually, and, and by the way, I, I, please don't bet the mortgage on it, but Indiana, it happens tomorrow. It happens tomorrow. And when it happens, when it happens, I'll make sure my phone is fully charged because that bad boy is going to get drained from the Texan tweets. Jake, 
You called it back in August. You called it in September. The fighting Hoosiers going in. Tom Allen, LEO, players believing. They're like, J&V and Blue Friday at walk-ons on South Meridian. You can go right now and have a beer with them to celebrate the fact that it might be a Blue Friday, but it's going to be a really blue Saturday in Michigan because the Blues are going to be running through the entire Wolverine State when Indiana goes up and stuns the world. A shout-out to Upland Brewery because when that happens, Jake, I will bring us in a six-pack of the Indiana Partnership game day lager that they have up there. Upland Brewing is good. Very nice. Upland, by the way, home of Taylor University. I was a uh, first-team all-camp there. Thanks, 1983 basketball camp. Um, I do think the Colts can win in Jacksonville. And I think it's going to come down to, as I'd said earlier, I think I'm saying that more as a statement about the Jags than the Colts, at no disrespect to the Colts. But, um, you know, as Kevin had mentioned, Braden Smith being out is probably a curveball in all of that. But... I'm just not totally trusting yet that Jacksonville's a team that puts it together like for three straight weekends now, and it feels like they're kind of due for a flat performance. I say Colts win, and I think I said 29-24 you did. on the website. Uh, I took the Jaguars 24-21. I agree with you, Jake. This feels like a good moment for the Colts and a good measuring stick game for where they're at, but from a Jacksonville perspective, this is a separation game. This is where you kind of fully show where you're at in terms of hanging around the division or pulling away, this is where it starts for Jacksonville. Eddie, one word answer. Colts, Jags. Who you Jags. got? All right, Eddie's got the Jags. John will take us home. Three o'clock. He's down at, as I mentioned, walk-ons on South Meridian. Have a good one, everybody.